I'm Daniel McFadder, also known as Wolf of Thorns. I'm a storyteller and a YouTuber, and you are listening to the Just Conversation podcast. Warning. This program contains strong themes meant for a mature audience. Discretion is advised. Going live in 5, 4. What does live mean? Uh. -huh. Welcome to the Just Conversation Podcast, the show where we ground humanity's most absurd and baffling ideas in childish ways. I'm your host, Jack. And I'm your host, Christina. And if you haven't yet, remember to hit that subscribe button to get notified a second new episodes are released. Also, this show is most enjoyable with a listening partner to share opinions and ideas on topics we discuss. Yes, so be sure to find somebody amazing, pull them close, wrap ropes around them as you strap them to a comfortable chair so that their backs don't hurt and that their butt doesn't hurt while they listen to a two-hour discussion. Why are they roped up? And what if you can't find someone amazing? Find somebody garbage. You strap them to a chair and you tell them you're going to pretend to be awesome. Or this is the last thing you ever hear. That's horrifying. Okay. And also you tell them you better shut the fuck up while this is playing and just listen but you won't say that to the awesome person who you tied up no the awesome person is already awesome they're just cool in general i don't think but i feel like they'd still freak out that's fine it's okay for them to freak out yeah they're awesome just not the trashy person no trashy people they have to shut the fuck up okay that's i think it. they will though they will if you tell them that yeah yeah definitely. you just gotta do two hours of this that's it you're free to go go call the cops it's fine oh my gosh but you gotta make it the two hours if you don't if you're not quiet and cool or pretending to be cool straight through this that's it you don't you don't see your children ever again what Damn. what are you gonna do to them and then they said something in the middle of it and you're like you messed up they're like i'm thirsty you couldn't just uh -huh. be quiet for two hours what if they need a bathroom break Nothing. Too bad. They suck it up. They could live. They, they could, could suck whisper, it up. Like, no, they could suck it up for two hours. Yeah, I guess. Like, what do they have? Diabetes? Come on, they'll be fine. What if they have diarrhea? Too bad. That's that's a weird <laughs> alignment of things that happen. Maybe I don't know. The fear gave it to them. It could be. Some people probably get that reaction when yeah. they're super scared and just pooped themselves. <laughs> yeah, they can't clean themselves. They have to just nope, sit in sit it. In it. Uh, sitting there for two hours are you worried about you being dirty at the moment or that crazy guy like come on yes i guess yeah, yeah. like they're gonna listen to the show and yeah. that's what this show is about yeah this show brings people together to listen to the just conversation pod that should be our tagline the just conversation podcast the show where people come together to listen forcefully or that's not sometimes it's that's not Look, at the end of the show, we're going to remind them to tell somebody who might like about it, who mm -hmm. might like the show. You know, tell somebody who might like the show, and they'll listen. But at the beginning of the show, we make sure to tell everybody, if you don't make have sure somebody... someone's listening. <laughs> yeah, you, you force somebody to listen. Yeah. Because if you don't make them... It's kind of like the whole, you're either the, the purchasing the product or you are the product. Yeah. So what? you either pay for YouTube ads or YouTube is selling your attention to advertisers. Yeah. So one or the other. In this case, it's you either kidnap somebody and force them to listen, or I kidnap you, and then you can never not listen. So now you're also kidnapping people to listen? Oh, man. I don't kidnap anybody, literally. I have the subhumans do all that. Oh, okay. Anyways, 
all of these horrible acts have so many things to do with the fact that today we have a guest where we talk about one of the darkest, most profound, and beautiful dis- games. Disturbing, <laughs> beautiful, disturbing, dark. Oh, God. I don't even know, man. Like, I kid around saying all this dark shit, but this game is so dark and emotional and, like, happy and, like, I don't even know. It deserved the game of the year. Yes. Which it did get. Which so, it did yeah. get. The <laughs> Last of Us 2, man. Holy crap. I don't even know, man. I I process that last bit of that game and I just can't get over it. This This episode is filled with spoilers. Definitely. Of that game and a bunch of other things. You guys go talk about other things, too. Yeah. Mostly that. If you don't want to know about The Last of Us 2... Yeah, The Last of Us. Look, there's yeah, there's a couple of spoilers in there. There's an, and there's a bunch of awesome recommendations. So if you've already played The Last of Us or if you're never going to play The Last of Us, which you should play The Last of Us. Definitely. But if you're not going to play The Last of Us, you should probably YouTube all the cutscenes in a row and watch it like a movie. Ooh, someone probably has that out yeah. there. Yeah. Go watch that. Go thank me later. Yes, of one and two together. Oh my god, best To movie. really watch it, yes, because that's how it's meant to be. Man, how many hours of cutscenes do you think together they have? I don't know, four hours? No, I don't think, know. I don't think the first one is drowned the way the second one is. Ah, uh, okay. I think maybe the first one could lead to 30 minutes to an hour max. And while the second, the second one? one alone could easily hit three hours. So that's about four hours. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. And that's fascinating. But uh, so on this episode, we have Daniel McFadder, the host, creator, the writer of Wolf of Thorns on YouTube. This is a video essay channel. I mean, other things happen, but like what really brought my attention was, the, those, essays? was the essays. His way to articulate the thoughts he has, the perspectives he's come to, the conclusions based on the information provided, his uh, way of dissecting games to get to information. And it just so happened that I played this game and I I just finished this game and started looking information up relative to it. And I found this guy. And then... And what he had to say. What he had to say. Now, this game is so profound, I needed help. Yes. Because there's so much happening. There's so much happening. And he had the right information. He had, and it's not that there's wrong information, but he had eloquent, well written, well thought out ideas and full fledged essays on this game. There was a million other games there. Yes. But, but that game was there for me at my time of need and when I was grieving because of this game that destroyed my life. He was there for you. He was there for me. Daniel McFadder was there in my time of need. And his voice. I think that's a plus. His, oh my God. Like, you'll hear his voice on this episode and great, whatever, fantastic. It's not the same. It's not the same. The performance is part of the glory in his channel. There is this clever, really dramatic, it's, it's it's so well done. And there is the combination, which we talk about, the combination of humor when he, like, he's fully leaning into this real dramatic perspective. And this character of his, This character of his, yes, that's really what it is. It's this character that's an exaggeration of himself. And I guess that's what all characters are, they're an exaggeration of something. Yeah. Like a comedian. A comedian is an exaggeration of themselves. Mm-hmm. 
He's doing the same thing. He's doing the same thing, except he's doing it with these essays and his way of reading them. And it's like, it's an experience. Look, go after this episode is over and check out his stuff. Wolf of Thorns on YouTube, highly recommended. Anyways, this is the last of all stuff. At least play the games first, man. Yes, don't games. don't <laughs> spoil this game. Definitely, once you've played this game, Wolf of Thorns the hell out of this game. But he also has other things not related to The Last of Us, if you want to yes. check those things out. 100%. Yes, yes, yes. There's variety for days. But don't spoil The Last of Us. Play The Last of Us, and then the first thing I need you to do when you do that is jump into his videos and thank me later. It it goes hand in hand. It's it's a good combo package. Neil Druckmann wrote a masterpiece and it will need it's like an Eminem album. You'll dissect it for the rest of eternity. Yes. And a great person dissecting that game is Daniel Wolf of Thorns. Highly recommend you do that combination of activities. Play the yes. game. Go let him break his points of view down. Because you already went in there with some things. And there's chances. There was so much in that game. You missed something. You had to. And he's going to point way. something out. You're going to be like, oh, fuck. I didn't think of it that one. Mm -hmm. And I also recommend highly look at a bunch of interviews with Troy, Ashley, and Druckmann. Where all of this You even is, get more info. Yeah. You get more info. Things that didn't even make it into the game because you aren't psychic and you can't read their minds. Mm -hmm. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. And uh, we'll see you on the other side. Hi. Hi. Well, I love that, and and I think it's it's like a Rorschach too. Do we want to see the light or the dark of it? Um, because for me, I I kind of celebrate the fact that they were able to get to that place of love together. You know, before this kind of fateful event happened, and um, not to get like super heavy, especially at the start of your show, <laughs> but I actually had an experience like that happen in my life uh, with my grandmother where um, you know, we had a great relationship our whole life. And then uh, we had this one stressful phone conversation uh, where we end up hanging up on each other and then not speaking for several years. And uh, when, I, when I spoke with her for the first time in so many years, uh, the first thing I said, the first words out of my mouth were, Grandma, I'm so sorry. And she just started crying and it was a good cry and, and I was upset too. And it was, it was, it was great for us. And I kid you not, two weeks later, she passed away. And that's one of those moments where I'm just so grateful for that. So for me, uh, th them having that moment, Ellie and Joel having that moment was very kind of reminiscent of it more being a positive thing than a negative thing, if that makes sense. That does make sense. And I'm very, very relieved your story wasn't about that one time your grandmother got cornered by some gangsters and beaten with a golf club. <laughs> Absolutely. Me too. <laughs> that would have been a weird twist to begin yes. with. But yes. no, I feel you fully. I completely understand what you mean, that it is... It's more personal to you, so you do have a, a very specific connection to the situation. But then again, how do you cope with that? How do you make it through a game like this when it's so personal? Well, uh, for me, I think one of the things that was really an anchor for me was just how human everyone was, how real it was. 
none of it felt fabricated like uh, some or many television shows can be and sometimes movies as well where people aren't really acting like people. I felt like everyone was acting so organic, regardless of what they were doing, regardless of what our projected judgments might be on them. It felt like these were real people. And again, uh, don't get me wrong, Jack, it wasn't like I was just totally okay with everything that happened. I I, I felt very raw and uh, uh, wounded by the end of this whole journey. And and I had to replay it several times and, and meditate as well on a lot of what was going on. It's, I mean, it's so much to process. All you could do is really like make it to the end and sit back and be like, I don't know if these were good guys, if these were (laughs) bad guys. I don't know if I'm on their side. I don't know if I'm against them. I don't know where I stand. Because we also have to consider the world that they're in, which makes their actions less bad and more about survival, I guess. Absolutely. But some of these, uh, that's the weird place that the game takes place in is the choice they're making to pursue the violence. In a world that's already violent and they're excused for it, fine. But everybody in this incident is pursuing the violence. Both parties are just chasing this infinite revenge that that they can't get over. The only difference is we play Abby coming off of her revenge successfully having gotten it right and uh, sort of i guess like learning to deal with it while we're following ellie to the point where we finished with abby right yeah it's it's kind of clever how they they put it together because we get to be with ellie first approaching you know the vengeance that she desires and then, it, of course, it shocks us by making us play Abby, and it's the downward swing for her, and we kind of get to see that she's actually been, you know, damaged by what she's done, and she's actually in denial for a little bit with some of that damage, uh, and, and we find her kind of inadvertently leaning towards healing herself, and uh, I was like healing myself as I was playing it. And uh, I just think it's marvelous when any type of story can take us on this journey like that. I mean, how many games can we sit around and have this kind of conversation about? That is 100% true. This is a work of masterpiece. Like, the fact that he can provoke that level of emotion, that's impressive. Right. And, and you know, you, you say provoke that level of, of emotion, absolutely right. And the thing is, I don't think he intended to, to provoke anyone. I, I think that he was just... In my, you know, from my view, I think he was just telling the story that he wanted to tell. And man, I'll really jack into any story uh, where someone is is not checking off the boxes. They're just telling something they're just truly passionate about. And uh, I think it shows on every on every level. Yes, that is the best part about this game that it's not just trying to it's not following a line he had a story in mind he loves these characters i don't know if you've looked into interviews between the actors and uh, neil Druckmann, the writer so troy baker ashley and uh, uh neil Druckmann. it's so personal to them that mm-hmm. they they could barely speak about the characters because of the state of mind they had to get in and every single one of them, minus Neil, he seems to be the guy, the writer who effortlessly murders his babies or whatever. <laughs> but between Troy and Ashley, they choke up. T- even the, the, the actor for Abby 
all right. three of them choke up talking about these fictional characters to the point that they're crying in the middle of an interview simply because of how personal the events are to them. This is profound to the point that your actors, the professionals who do this for a living, couldn't handle it. That's how solid the writing is. That's how little he was just checking off the boxes. These people were coming into the office and being blown away by what they had to do. It wasn't just another Tuesday for them. And what on what you're, you're talking about, uh, it, what blew me away was Troy telling us in an interview that without a doubt, he said, Joel is the role that he is the most proud of. And so there's several reasons why that kind of blew me away that he would say that. For one, I know how strongly I feel and many people feel about his character. You know, we love his character. And usually an artist won't share that type of thing like this is the role I'm the most proud of. But this is a guy who's done the voice of the Joker. This is a guy who's done the voice of Batman. He's done so many different voices. And for him to say, you know, he's the most proud of Joel just goes right into what you're talking about, about them getting emotional and, and, and what this means to them as well as what it means to us. 100%. And uh, Neil Druckmann allowed them to sprinkle their own sauce in the middle of uh, everything they were doing, including the one line. I don't know if you heard this, but this destroyed me when I heard it which was uh, Troy Baker speaking about the key scene that kind of spins this out of control. And uh, he was talking about while he's on the ground, what thoughts does he think Joel would have at that moment? And he could barely make it through saying this. But what he said is that Joel is a man who lived completely in defense most of his life. Even after he met this girl, he was just going to pawn her off on Tommy. So... Right. That all happens. But he commits to her, he saves her, whatever. And after saving her, he gives himself this delusion that I got the girl now, I can go live happily ever after in Jackson, where he drops his defenses. But he knows in the back of his mind, eventually somebody's going to get him. He's crossed many people. So right. he, when he's finally caught and when he's being beaten, the thought that crosses his mind is, this is what I get for dropping my defenses. But... Wow. I would do it all over again. That is wow. crazy. Yes, it is. That is absolutely profound. And it impacts that character on a level that we don't even, we can't hear his thoughts in the game, but it tells us what that character is thinking at that moment because it reflects what we know about him up until that point precisely. Right. And, you know, with those type of, of, you know, bits and flavor and the whole spirit that they that they bring to these characters. I mean, these characters really are channeled from these actors. Uh, it reminds me of what uh, the, he shared in an interview. Um, I guess it was years and years before the first The Last of Us. Uh, you probably I don't know if it took him three or four years to make that game, but I think uh, Neil and Bruce Straley, uh, you know, invited Troy and Ashley to dinner. And basically told them, you know, this is this is the game. This is what we want to hire you guys for. And this is the, the big idea. And Troy said that he and Ashley uh, kind of went outside to kind of give themselves some space between, you know, their soon to be bosses. And he said, you know, if this sucks, it's going to be on us. I can believe that. I can believe the pressure because when you read, I mean, what this man began his writing career in gaming on Uncharted 2. What a fucking start. Wow. To then do every Uncharted from that point and then be given this entire project that is yours here. This is your baby. Do your thing. Right. And his writing shows. He could write giant cinematic set pieces. He could write uh, adventure. And then he brought the most human humanity to the darkest possible corners that it could exist in, put it all together, and did it with some 
profound eloquence, detail, and it's honest. It's like these characters are real people. For anybody to read that and believe it's not their fault if this messes up, like Neil Druckmann's writing is flawless. There's nothing to question there. Absolutely. And it, it's these types of stories that, that, you know, I think the world needs. And, uh, you know, those types of storytellers like Neil Druckmann that tell us stories that, that challenge us. So I'm just uh, excited for, for more things like that. Well, I would uh, say uh, the the one we have had for a while that's on that same vein is uh, Hideo Kojima. Uh, with his Metal Gear games, he always kind of questioned morality, and we were never really sure if we were playing the good guy or the bad guy. Like, what's Big Boss if he's the enemy of Solid Snake, and Solid Snake is a good guy, but he works for the government that's the one terrorizing everything, and Big Boss is there to stop that problem because he's a secret agent, but then he runs a militia. Like, who's the good guy? Absolutely. It's, and it's so ironic that you that you mentioned Kojima because... Uh, while I haven't played the Metal Gear games except for the original uh, two on the NES and except for the original uh, PlayStation 1 Metal Gear Solid, which was like 20 years ago for me, so it might as well be another life, um, I did play Death Stranding. I got most of the way through it, and then The Last of Us came out, so I shifted to that. But uh, just with Death Stranding, like the type of story that that's telling uh, about unity and about us, you know, kind of building bridges against, you know, across the fractured soul uh, of our nation. Uh, man, it just really hit me home. And and even though it's a totally different mood, um, it, it that's the type of storytelling that just excites me. And I'm just like, man, we need more of this. I want to jack into more stories like this. A hundred percent. And uh, Kojima is an expert at sort of predicting society to some degree because he writes so observantly. I think that's uh, although and I will say this a million times that um, The Last of Us is heavily a game studied on Kojima. Like you can see the shreds of Kojima in how the game plays. The stealth is definitely taken from Kojima. The type of writing, how the characters interact, the profound, all of this is just Druckmann studied Kojima to make something greater than Kojima has ever even imagined of getting to. But the way that that story unfolds and the way that Kojima writes his worlds differs in that Neil Druckmann focuses on the human characteristic while Kojima focuses on society as a whole. And awesome. it tells us this broader picture about how humans interact not how people interact, if that makes sense. Right. More on the social the social level. I definitely saw that in Death Stranding. And man, uh, I've got to jump back in and finish that game. Even in Metal Gear, at the end of the day, he's talking, think about how he predicted computers not only taking over, not literally taking over, but, you know, somebody programmed something that brainwashes people and he, the news becomes something that you can't even trust because everybody's got propaganda flying in every direction. And all this happened before we ever heard the word fake news. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm right there with you on that. Yeah, it's definitely something interesting that these two men observe us in very... Like, I would love to see what a project between these two men would look like. That would be uh, a dream game, I think, between Druckmann and Kojima. Yeah, it might be kind of hard to, to swallow. Like, The Last of Us is a difficult game. I was actually comparing The Last of Us to the album Revival by Eminem and the album... um. Carter Five by Little Wayne, where okay. they get really heavy on their subject matter. Eminem talks about in a song with um, Ed Sheeran about 
how he got a woman to have an abortion, and he's regretted that his entire life since that moment. And Little Wayne on the Carter, and these are just looking for the worst song when it comes to impact and how hard it is to listen to the song because of how heavy it is, where uh, Little Wayne on the Carter 5 has a song where he's explaining why he considered killing himself many times when he was a child because oh, his wow. epilepsy was one of the reasons that his mother's life wasn't better and it was oh, a wow. financial strain and he would consider suicide consistently. And like, can you imagine trying to relax on an album and that song comes on? Right. Like that's beautiful song and it's a, it's a diary. They're using those albums as diaries to talk about their deepest, darkest thoughts. And that is what's happening in The Last of Us. It's the diary of these characters. But it's that hard. Like, that's why people are angry. The same way they were angry at those two albums, and those two albums are amazing. They are angry well, at this game because it is like a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, and, you know, uh, while I'm not necessarily familiar with those songs, I mean, that's where a lot of our best art comes from is when we tap into that raw darkness that we've lived and we begin to, you know, paint our art with it, whether it's a song or, uh, you know, a, a story, a film, whatever it might be, a novel. Um, that's where the magic really starts to happen, kind of blending what you've experienced into um, either you're just reciting what you've experienced, as it probably was the case in their songs, or whether you're kind of using that as a backbeat to, to paint a fictitious story. Yeah, man, that's where the, that's where the magic of the human condition uh, kind of comes into play and just blossoms into this experience for all of us. And yeah, absolutely. you're making me think of um, Dark Knight. That's what the Joker was. The Joker was a, a character representation of what society is really beneath the surface. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I'll probably do a video at some point on uh, the Dark Knight's Joker because, you know, I always saw him as, you know, uh, he's like a magic trick. And, uh, and by that, I mean, he's showing you something by causing you to look in a different place. So you can't see kind of like what what's right in front of you. And I'm probably not saying this the right way, but I saw him uh, one of his main themes to me that just really jumped out at me was being like this hermetic figure to Batman. He was trying to tell Batman some things about himself that he needed to face. Uh, I mean, he he lights the money on fire and he he tells Batman that he's going to have to break his one rule. And I think the audience, we probably think, well, no, he doesn't. He doesn't kill somebody, but he actually has to live that narrative and become the bad guy by the end of it all. And uh, man, I, I just, there were so many layers upon that, uh, that, that, you know, we could talk about that till the cows come home probably. Yeah, hundred percent. I actually think that story is about how the Joker is trying to save Gotham and Batman is the reason that it's terrible. There's a lot of uh, pointers to the Joker trying to get the world to see how truly fucked Gotham is versus the calm narrative that politicians and the police try to say that, oh no, we've got it under control and this and that. This man comes in and he's not trying to gain anything. He's trying to show. He's holding a giant mirror to everybody he encounters, trying to show them, like, this is how fucked it is. You're not going to do anything about it. If you're not going to do anything about it, I could do whatever the hell I want. And you don't want me to do whatever the hell I want. That looks bad. So do something about it. And he's trying to get Batman to understand. You want to fix the problem? You can't keep arresting people that are just going to break out of prison every time they get a chance or that can just buy their way out. You got to kill some people. Right. Absolutely. It's a weird yeah, it's... sort of flip on the narrative. 
Yeah, it's 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 and it's definitely and see that's the type of thing about you know taking mythology and taking it in new directions and uh, that that's the type of stuff that really kind of turns me on. But it can it can kind of have the uh, I don't know if you've experienced this, Jack, but it can kind of have the the bad counter effect. You know, when you enjoy stories like that, like uh, you know, The Dark Knight, when you enjoy The Last of Us and you know, Metal Gear and these other stories that are told at such a high level, it can make it very difficult to enjoy a lot of other content because so much of it, you know, struggles to kind of be at that level. Yes, I very specifically experience this very often. And it happens usually when I find a new medium of some sort. Like, let's say I'm listening to music, right? And somebody, oh, man, this band or that band. It's usually garbage. But if you look hard enough, you can find, like, oh, the best of the best. And then you go and listen to that, and you're like, wow, I like this genre. And then you right. go and look for the other bands, and you're like, no, but there's some, this is not the same. There, there might be another one. And then you keep looking, and you realize, oh, no, you peaked at the beginning. You you went too high. You should have started at garbage and then work your way up getting excited. But you started at the best. Going down from that point, it all looks like crap. Right. And that's a big problem. That happens to me with video games all the time. I loved, keyword, loved with an ED, horror games. And okay. then I played Alien Isolation. And that's it. That's all she wrote. Now horror games suck. Because this game has an AI programmed to learn from your behavior. There are oh, wow. 150 subroutines programmed into the xenomorph, and they unlock based on what it witnesses you doing. So it behaves as though it's learning from your behaviors. That is out of hand. I actually have Alien Isolation on Steam, and aside from playing the very beginning, I still haven't played the game. My friends have like beat me up. They're like, you need to play this game. So, uh, of course, they didn't tell me what you just told me, which, you know, should be like included in the commercial for the game. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's great. Actually, they definitely kept it a secret in advertising the game. They didn't tell anybody and the game just turned out to be brutally difficult because as you use a trick and you're thinking, oh, this works because it does that. The AI doesn't work that way with any other NPCs. It's wow. just for Alien. And there's actually two... Uh, different NPCs working together to create the illusion that is alien. One is the programming of alien. This creature can wander into any event you can access. It could reach any point you can reach in its uh, areas of travel. And there is a program that controls how often it's following you. So if you have a way easy time, that program starts telling alien the general area that you're on. But if you're struggling too much, it starts moving Alien away so that you can get a couple of things accomplished. Oh. And so there's a perfect balance of there's always tension because you never know if it's too easy because it's supposed to be or if it's just around the corner and you're about to get shafted by freaking Alien. <laughs> that is some impressive organic design. You're, you're making me want to play this. I have like a long list of games I need to get to. And uh, you just moved Alien Isolation up several slots on that list. Oh, yeah. The game is its definitely my favorite horror game. It destroyed every other horror game for me. And it's canon story, so why not? That's awesome, too. I didn't know that. Are, aren't they making a sequel to that? I have no idea, but if they are, I'm all in. Like, that game needs a sequel. That's a pretty old game to not have a sequel, but, like, it's hard to do that twice. Right. I do recommend it, though. If you haven't played that yet, jump into that one. That is, again, it ruined everything. It destroys so, games. Alien Isolation, you say it's canon. It, where does it take place, like, in the scheme of the, the films? Um, 
it's Ripley's daughter looking for the Nostromo where her mother was lost. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. So it's her actual daughter showing up and doing research and then finding out that she's fucked on this ship. Wow. Highly recommend that. I don't want to spoil anything if you haven't jumped in. It is amazing. The story is pretty good. But the wow. story does not compete with the gameplay. The gameplay stands on its own as this masterpiece. And uh, so, if you play games on the hardest setting, I recommend that for this one, where you don't have a map or anything, and you're really feeling the panic of being lost on the ship that you don't know about. Yeah, see, I don't like to punish myself with, with the hardest settings on games, for sure. <laughs> that is that is not something I, I take pleasure in. But it sounds like it's probably challenging either way you approach it. Oh, yeah. No matter what the case might be, uh, Alien will one-shot you on any setting. So is that what you do? Like, whatever game it is, you're just going to turn it up, crank it up to the very difficult, and just have at it? Is that usually your approach? Uh, yes, 100%. I did not know that Alien had a map until I beat the game and jumped into the side, uh, like the, the DLC that doesn't allow you to choose difficulty. Okay. And then I realized there was a map in the game that far in. I actually didn't know that The Last of Us had so much detailed information on screen because grounded mode doesn't show you anything. Holy. You're a braver man than I. I'm not willing to do that to myself. Well, I love the immersive experience on top of, like, I... I how do I put it? I don't know. If I already know the game, then playing the harder modes isn't as fun. So sure. I dive into the reality of the matter, which would be the hardest possible setting. Like, that's what they're experiencing. Think of a Horizon Zero Dawn. How lame is it to be overpowered over robots? But, right. like, the robots, they should be one-shotting you. <laughs> well, you know what this means. This means you're probably force sensitive, you know, because you probably have to have Jedi reflexes to play games at on those types of levels. Oh man, I've skated my entire life. I see everything in slow motion. That that's how I felt when I was a kid growing up on NES games and Sega Genesis games and Super Nintendo games where like a thousand things are on the screen trying to kill you and you've got limited continues and I probably got so traumatized as a kid in fits of rage that in my adult life, it's just like, nah, man, let's just turn it on normal. And if that's too tough, we're going to put it on easy too. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I I love stories. And don't get me wrong, that's that's my jam. But I need to experience the character's point of view. And their lives aren't easy. That's the point. But I understand, like, here's the, here's the flip to that. I actually had this very conversation yesterday in which we can't rely on just difficulty because... Some people are going to get stuck, and then what? You just ruin the game? Like, they're not sure. going to have fun from that point forward. And in something like Grounded, on The Last of Us, you're not going to make it past... You can't lower the difficulty. If you're stuck, you're, you're fucked. That's it. Right, right. And so, like, some people are there for the story. Some people don't want a crazy challenge, and they deserve to, a game as well. If that same game yeah, could be catered to both audiences, I understand. Absolutely. And see, that's that's the part where I'm at. I'm not really looking to repeat fighting the Rat King again and again and again. Um, you know, I just kind of want to get a sense of it. And, uh, and a lot of times I, I'm just not very good, man. So a lot of times it's still challenging for me on a normal difficulty. I'll still find myself replaying sections. So that's why I say you probably you're probably a Padawan, man, and you don't even know it. Oh, man, maybe. I don't even know. I love, like, specifically The Last of Us on the hardest setting, the stealth is astounding because when they're looking your direction and you are in grass, if you move, they see the grass move. 
You're oh, not wow. just crawling around safely. They will see the grass move and be like, I saw something over there. So you say you're a fan of horror games. Uh, was. Have, how do you – well, was. How do you feel about Dead by Daylight? Have you given that a chance? Dead by Daylight. That sounds familiar, but no, I don't believe I've played that one. So it's an asymmetrical match-based horror game where you have four survivors and oh, another player's yeah, I played killer. That. Yeah, I played that. I played that. And was that for you? Not your bag? No, it wasn't. It wasn't for me. I do like thinking against people. And mm-hmm. I, I, that's why I like games like Call of Duty where it's all like immediate reaction-based things and you're nobody plays the same. So you're never just like outthinking an AI that you've played a million times, you know? Sure. So I love games like that. So I don't know why something like Dead by Daylight, I don't like it. I have no clue. But I do love Dying Light and that's never lost its appeal to me. It's gone down since playing Alien, but there's something about how crazy the night i guess the the concept keeps me glued to that one sure i i don't think i've played that one so i'm not familiar with dying light oh that's when uh night hits and all the zombies become crazy overpowered freaks of nature that can free run oh wow yeah it gets real fucked (laughs) that sounds like a fun time are you a fan of uh, horror games i'm not and that's why i was so surprised that i really liked dead by daylight i started a friend gifted it to me uh, a couple of years ago, and I started playing it, and uh, I was pretty addicted to it for a long, long time, and I still play it uh, occasionally. It can be a lot of fun. And what's what's your main like wheelhouse of games? Where do you spend most of your time? Is it all story games? Uh, so I really love uh, good narrative games, uh, but I, the more I get involved in, I guess the the gamer world, the the more I realize how much I haven't played. And there's still so much, you know, for me to experience. Um, I've played Red Dead Redemption uh, 1 and 2 and really enjoyed those narratives. And, of course, The the Last of Us games. But uh, I get subscribers all the time telling me, you know, uh, Wolf Cover, you know, the Bloodborne games and uh, the Souls games and all these. uh, And and the Metal Gear games, which, of course, I haven't played except for uh, Metal Gear Solid way back in the day. So there's just... My stack of games that I should be playing uh, just grows and grows and grows, and I, I, I got to find time to do it. Well, the question is, are you going to dive into something like Dark Souls or Bloodborne? Uh, I, I keep getting those nudges that I should try, and didn't they remake one of those for the new uh, consoles that are coming out or the yes, PS5? I think it was Demon Souls. And is that the same as the Dark Souls game? Is that like the first one? Yeah, that's literally the first one. Demon Souls was first, then Dark Souls 1 and 2, and then Bloodborne. And I think then Dark Souls 3 or something shit like that. That sounds like a wonderful opportunity for someone like me that kind of missed the boat to kind of jump in uh, on the PS5 deal. And uh, I will and tell you ahead of time, do extensive research because I don't want you to waste your money on that game if you're not okay. the kind of person who's going to enjoy it. I'll elaborate by simply saying it might be the hardest game ever made. Holy cow. Yeah, I don't like uh, huge difficulties. Oh, no. The That's... point in that game is that you don't get jumped by many, many things. You're probably going to lose a one-on-one against like a low-budget enemy. Wow. Look, oh my god, it's it might be number one. Demon Souls, Dark Souls. What the hell? Ghosts and Goblins. That game was bullshit. That game was <laughs> rigged. I don't care. They said old school gaming was harsh. Yes, absolutely. I was traumatized from the experience. 
I don't know how. I used to, I was, um, I remember, well, I don't remember, but the stories go that my mother had Super Nintendo and she would give me the Mario and I would beat most levels and the ones I couldn't beat, she would beat for me. I was about three years old when I beat the entire Super Mario World. Oh, wow. Yeah, see, that's impressive, man. You're definitely a you're definitely force sensitive for sure. Force sensitive. I've never heard that term before. What do you mean by yeah. that? Yeah. You're you're like a Jedi. Is that like a common term that I've just missed? There's so much no, crap I'm that just, just sleeps. I'm over just my saying head. you clearly your hand eye coordination, you can see things before they happen. You know, if you're three years old and you're beating Super Mario World and you know, that's that's my opinion of, of people that skate through Oh uh, the, you mean most force sensitive. Yes. Oh, I thought you were saying four sensitive. I'm like, what the hell do you mean? <laughs> no, you're a Jedi. Oh, shit. Could yeah. be, dude. Like when I, uh, as you, one thing you learn while skating, right? Is, or not learn, but like, I guess a muscle that builds is your perception. Because when you do a trick, it looks like a fraction of a second went by and the board is already on the floor to anybody looking who, who doesn't have like the sixth sense for it, you know? Sure. But. You as the skater, you're in the air of fucking eternity. You pop the board, you see the slide gradually come up, and you flick, and the board flips once. If you're going to flip it twice, you patiently wait for that second one. You're like, now, and you come down and you grab the board. But that was like a split second that went by when all those thoughts stacked together. I imagine it's the same feeling that like a NASCAR driver has. Or yeah. not even NASCAR, Formula One. Just a, a symphony of moments as you interact with your reality and manipulate time, my man. You know, definitely Jedi stuff. But I assure you, you have that too. It just formulates differently in every individual. How do I put it? Force sensitive. Let's say that the force manifests in different ways for every individual, right? Right. So some people have extreme external perception. But right. go ahead and tell that person to articulate their inner thoughts, and you're probably going to get somebody who stumbles everywhere with their words. <laughs> Maybe. But think of what you're doing with your YouTube channel and how you're articulating completely profound, deep ideas and thoughts. The energy had to land somewhere, and it landed there. Well, I, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, and that, you know, there could be something to, you know, definitely people have different strengths that blossom in different ways. Mine certainly is not hand-eye coordination and certainly not the amazing stuff you did at three years old or, you know, twisting a skateboard in midair while I, my body follows it. Um, but yeah, definitely more uh, storytelling for sure. I don't know if it's at the Jedi level, but uh, I definitely enjoy stories. Have you ever considered writing a novel? Yes, I actually have. Uh, written a novel, uh, Miguel Traveler. I, I published it myself in, uh, in 2018. I actually finished the story uh, in March of 16 and just like frighteningly sat on it forever until I finally had it edited. And, uh, and then even after it was edited, I sat on it forever and I, I, I finally uh, went to publish it. And it turns out some people uh, liked it. That mean I've read not read, but I've heard you reading what you've written. Unless you're, that's an interesting question. Is, are you, you have a script you're reading from that you've already processed, thought out and put together, or you are like winging your thoughts? So for my videos, no, I am absolutely not winging my thoughts for my videos. So for the videos, you're definitely uh, hearing something that's uh, very much been written down 
edited and then recorded. And of course, the audio is edited as well. So if I, I stutter or, you know, uh, or a cat, you know, meows into the microphone or whatnot, you know, that's absolutely going to be taken out. Um, but yes, the, the videos are definitely a very polished uh, final form of, of a thought for sure. Fantastic. You are quite successful at having a very natural non-reading tone. So I'm assuming you read it off the paper, you internalize it, and then you say it into the microphone. Or Unless you can read with that level of fluidity that it just sounds like you're in a, in a stream of consciousness. Because that's one of the largest appeal that your channel had to me. I don't like when something feels formatted. Sure. If yeah. I'm if I'm hearing somebody talk and it sounds like they're reading off of a paper, like I could just like give me the script. I could read it myself, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, and I and I know what you mean. I, I have watched content before that you can you can kind of hear that that pattern that maybe some people aren't aware when they sound that way. Um, so I think it's just about, you know, being able to edit yourself and know if you sound like you're you're just reading something or not. Yeah, for sure. You definitely have the the skill there. Now, here's a very interesting thing that I like about your videos. You have this awareness that sometimes you're being very dramatic and you sort of play along almost in a comedic sense with how dramatic you're sounding. Right. I love the self-awareness of that. <laughs> it's not like you're, no, I'm always serious and if it sounds too, ser too jokey. No, you lean into it so that you maintain the serious tone, but it's clearly almost comical in your pursuit of some aspects of it. And I appreciate that a lot. It takes some deep, deep understanding of your work to not take yourself so seriously. Well, well thank you for that. I, I was hoping people don't typically comment on that kind of thing, but I was hoping that people were picking up on that. Uh, because if there's anything that I am, I, I am really, really silly and also really serious. And uh, that's what my youngest son told me. And my, my son, my youngest son just joined the Navy. So it tells you how old I am. But yeah, he recently told me, Dad, you're, you're, the, you're single handedly the most silly person and the most serious person I know. And I never really stopped to consider it until uh, Austin told me that. And so I, I try to, to put to bring some of both sides of it to uh, 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 appropriate forms of self-expression, you know, when I can. And it shows, it shows you have a particularly good way of presenting that where your tone doesn't, or how do I put it? It's hard to explain because it's like something more nuanced than tone because the tone lightens up, but remains serious as you're going through it. And it's like, those are some fun, your videos are fantastic, man. They are really just fun things to enjoy. They are profound. They get you thinking about the content. They have those light moments where you're like, ha I see what you did there. <laughs> it's, it's just a good assortment of things. You're clearly a writer at heart, man. Well, thank you. It's, 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 it's fun to be able to, you know, express ideas about uh, things that you appreciate. And, you know, when we experience uh, great art, uh, that's that's one of the, the the greatest ammunitions we can have to kind of turn that around and just uh, you know express ourselves about it. It's quite the gift. Hundred percent. Like I, I fully understand. I actually have spent my whole life writing as well, and there's no way in hell I'm nearly as good as you are. And you've done it briefly. I don't even understand. That was your gift, man. It was handed down to you, and well, it's it's truly profound. I I jealously consume your material well thank you for that 
um, oh, it's 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 always great when when you see that people uh, appear to to enjoy uh, the content that uh, that you're putting out there. So um, you know, we're just going to continue. Uh, uh, talking about things that we find interesting and hopefully people will continue to enjoy it in this brave new COVID world. Uh, as we, uh, you know, uh, of course who wouldn't want to uh, do something creatively, uh, as their profession. hundred so, percent. What kind you, how did you land on this? What was the initial idea that you're like, Oh, let me do some YouTube. Uh, actually the YouTube channel started, uh, I actually uh, answered this in a Q and a that I just published yesterday. Um, it started in 2017 just as uh, uploading just a video about Daisy. Um, I encountered some wolves. I don't even talk in it. It's the wrong aspect ratio. Uh, it's really poor quality. There was no strategic plan to make this channel. And it kind of, uh, I, I think I, I published that video. And then like a year and a half later, my friends and I were playing uh, this game called Hunt Showdown that you may or may not be familiar with. It is uh, a pretty – you like uh, Call of Duty. This is different from that, but it is a first-person uh, team match-based shooter. Um, but uh, I kind of made some humorous videos about that. And then when Red Dead Redemption 2 came out, I kind of dabbled in making some guides. Um, and then I realized that's not something I wanted to even try to compete uh, in with that. And uh, then this summer with The Last of Us uh, coming out, Last of Us Part Two, uh, one of my favorite uh, intellectual properties of all time. And uh, of course, like you and I started the conversation with, you know, you finish an experience like that and you're like, wow, there's just so much here to unpack. And so I just started making videos about unpacking what I was experiencing in kind of like a cathartic way. So where we arrive now is just this unplanned uh, chain of events uh, that happened. And then uh, with COVID happening as well, uh, I lost my job of 13 years. And so then you have more time to talk about all of these things. And so that kind of uh, that that's kind of the path that led us here. Oh, shit. So this is just like random occurrence after random occurrence, a random thought here or something else there. And it's just this is very interesting because that's the, that's the story of the creator, right? Nobody's like, I'm a create. They're just like a, a series of events slowly does something. But you did the right thing at the beginning, which I'll say is the step most people lack. And you uploaded a thing. And that's that, true. That's enough. That's enough. You got that part through. And I tell everybody, uh, let's say somebody wants to start a podcast, for example, right? Buy all the equipment. Just buy the equipment. Don't do anything with it. Let it sit around. Eventually, you're going to turn it on and do something. But it's already right. there. It's present. The, the ball got rolling. It might be moving slow, but it's eventually going to touch something. And that's sort of what you did by uploading. Your one video, now it's a possibility. You uploaded something. Oh, I can upload. So now a year later, oh yeah, I remember I uploaded that one time. Let me upload. And then Absolutely. somehow it just kept taking form because it's a thing you could do. Yes, exactly what you say, you know, wh whatever you have to do, do that first action, which, you know, like if you want to, like you said, purchase the equipment uh, and then worry about starting it later. But it, that action that you're talking about, that kind of executing our agency, you know, if you want this possibility to happen, the first step has to be just starting it, just casting your action into the sand. And then, you know, things can take shape after that. We, we have to execute that, that 
kind of physical aspect of our will, for sure. Not to get too philosophical, but... Okay, so you you end up creating this content, right? You you at random moments upload do whatever. Then the Last of Us happens, and a shift happens in your content because there was a lot of casualty, there was a lot of random chance, there was a lot of different kinds of content. Uh, there there was you were already sort of dabbling in the introspection of these games in a few videos beforehand. Here and there, you know, thoughts about oh, Star Wars and things like that. And then you really, something happened and you, like, uh, I guess it's the game, really. But, like, your thoughts got essentially formatted and it became clear as glass what you had to do. I mean, I found you entirely because of this game. This game is bringing us together. This is crazy. Right. So, what? thought was it like i have to do this not i want to but like i have to because you went in depth with that game well see that's just it 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 was always a want to i never felt forced i never felt pressured um i i i always every video that i've made so far in relation to the last of us 2 has always been something that i wanted to say the moment that something feels like work to me, I always struggle to to do it. So usually inside every video that I do, I find that there's at least one, if not two, things that I'm really excited about getting to in the video. And I'm really excited about getting to that point. So they're like these two beacons that kind of shine with excitement for me as I'm doing all the editing and cutting everything together because it can be quite exhaustive even for, let's say, a six or seven minute video with the level of articulation that I put into the edits. Um, so for me, I, I've been lucky so far and that with the, this particular audience and these particular videos ha has always been something that's been very gratifying for me to actually make. So it's it's definitely your thing, man. You do it well, and it's it's definitely it's right. You're the right fit, and there's too much repetitive content. You're kind of a breath of fresh air in a way worn down medium where everybody's trying to do it and nobody's doing it right because everything seems generic. Everything is the same thing. Everybody's opinionating what their beliefs are while you're looking at the information already provided and trying to understand it. I guess that's the difference. You're not over here like, I think this is how it should play out. And you do have those moments, but you clarify so much is based on what you've witnessed versus what you think you should have witnessed, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not sure that, um, uh, you know, not to talk bad about any, anyone's content or anything, but as far as like the negative energy that some people, you know, that's the content they make, or maybe that's just what they feel like, you know, getting off of their chest. Um, that just not me. So I definitely anything that I that I put out is needs to feel like some expression of, of me and something that that I enjoy. And and me, I don't get me wrong, I've gone through my periods in life, you know, where things have, have I've perceived things more bleakly. But I think for the most part, I, I, I try to look for uh, the light, you know, uh, to quote the fireflies, uh, always look for the light. Um, and so for me, when I'm expressing something, let's say even in my novel, uh, we're going to blend the light and the dark and we're going to take you to a dark, dark place where maybe you don't even know that there's a way to get out. But the ending 
it's going to be bittersweet, but there, there's something about the sweetness that's going to feel right and it's going to feel organic and kind of leave you with an open road leading you out of the story. If that makes sense, that's how I, I what feels right to me as far as expressing myself. What do you think made you this way? What what um, aspect of your life do you believe is what led to the approach you have on the world, on the video games, on your writing? You're kind of way laid back and particularly skilled to not be some pretentious douchebag. Like if I had your skills, I would be out there rubbing it in everybody's face. But you're pretty <laughs> humble, all things considered, and particularly skilled. And you you're fascinated by nuanced details that most other people aren't you're a weird guy basically yeah um wow well i appreciate that uh, uh i i think for me it just you know there there's a lot of dark roads uh where i came from me and me and my my siblings where we came from and uh you know with the upbringing that we had it, it wasn't uh the brightest and so you kind of had to find your own light in things whether that was using your imagination to to uh, have your own stories, um, to having to deal with all that stuff again, kind of in your own adult life and a lot of soul searching and a lot of uh, kind of figuring yourself out and, and, and realizing things. I think looking for the positive in something, uh, I kind of found early on that this world was going to give me anything I wanted to, wanted to find in it. If I, if I wanted to look for something dark, the world was never going to stop giving me something dark. But if I, I, I instead I wanted to look for something, you know, bright and warm, uh, there were things uh, that it was always going to give me that was that, if that makes sense. Hopefully that doesn't sound too vague, but <laughs> uh, that's that's really the, the most honest answer I have for that. Well, then I have an interesting question off of your answer, which is, do you believe there was ever dark or do you believe it was your outlook on what was happening? And in thinking of it as something brighter, by thinking you were looking for something brighter, you're looking at the same things, but you're seeing the good because all things have good and bad, right? Right. No, uh, I definitely wouldn't wish my childhood on any on any person. <laughs> so there, there was definitely darkness there. For, Do for, you for think sure. your childhood made you a better person? Um, uh, all I know is that it gave me some challenges that I had to overcome for 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 sure. So, um, well, let's rephrase it. Did overcoming the challenges prepare you for situations that you wouldn't have been able to handle otherwise? Uh maybe. Uh, that's really, really hard to say. Really hard to say. Interesting, interesting. Because I would, I would argue, right, that the harder your life is, the better you turn out because you have way more perspective. Versus somebody who doesn't have it as hard, they do have a more gray that they exist in versus seeing the black and white to know what gray is in the first place. Yeah, you know, I, I, I. I try not to uh, think, you know, cast blanket statements on on different people's lives because, man, I tell you, I have met incredible people, uh, incredible healthy-minded people from uh, all walks of life, and some of them did have to come out of darkness, and others, uh, you know, just came from healthy environments. You know, they came from loving families with great leaders in the home, and you kind of saw how that impacted them, and I never. 
you know, felt or thought, well, you know, you came from this loving home and, you know, that's I'm jealous of that. Instead, I just thought that it was wonderful. Um, and, and I definitely to me, it kind of inspired me, you know, if I can change anything, if I can tell a story and it changes one person's mind or gives one person uh, some type of internal discovery that, that they feel they have ownership of uh, that can make the tomorrow of the distant future better then that's one thing I can do to try and, and, and do my part to create a future where everybody can come from, you know, a healthy and positive environment because I've kind of been able to see directly uh, some of the uh, effects that it can have in a very positive way. But like you mentioned, uh, someone who didn't come from a dark place and kind of had everything given to them, if that's the case, uh, it can be worse for them. It just I think so much of it has to do with the individual uh, kind of that marriage of not just where you came from, but who you are on the inside for sure. A hundred percent. That has to do a lot with the parenting, who you are internally and uh, how you deal with the situations, whether good or bad. But then I have a, a, an idea, right? Uh, I've heard this a million times from different sources. I don't know where it originated from, but it goes that strong people, what is it? A hard life leads to strong people, strong people make an easy life and the people with an easy life are weak which leads to a hard life for the next so that like like repeats over and over the strong people create an easy life for the people who become weak and then as a result make an they make the life harder for the next generation that then so we always have that kind of flop back and forth in an individual's life where if you had it hard maybe your family had it easier and that's why they weren't ready to make it yeah, um, I, I think that you know, parts of the cycles that you're talking about, you know, we can see that in in a lot of the generational differences, where a lot of times that kind of does fit into play. Uh, of course, you know, the shoe doesn't fit for everyone, but we can kind of see some of those patterns. And so, uh, yeah, you know, those are all interesting questions. You know, where do we find the balance of of those types of energies? Now, do you think a world where everybody has a good life would be good, though? Like, everybody has a great life. There's very little conflict. How quick is that going to fall apart? Well, that is a great question. So, when you say great life, I guess the definition is what, you know, what, what defines a great life. So, to me, a great life, uh, a great experience, a great personal story is not one that has no tension. We need tension. If we don't have tension, we're going to be miserable. It's part of how our reality was created. It's part of what makes us tick. But I think it's all about the dynamic between uh, the individual's ability to kind of be connected uh, when, when it's all, uh, when it all boils down to it. But one of my wishes for humanity is that, you know, every person could be united with their passion as long as their passion isn't causing pain, of course, on people. Um, well, wow. okay, okay, let's pull back real quick. What if your passion does interfere with somebody else's happiness? Well, I would say that uh, my concerns for your passion are, are probably not a high priority if you like inflicting pain on people. That, that's, that's where I would stand on it for sure. All right, let me look at this from a different angle for you. What if you not being able to pursue your passion causes pain on you, but you pursuing your passion causes pain on someone else? Well, uh, I can't think of many that would if we're talking about completely healthy mindsets and we're talking about completely 
healthy relationship dynamics. I mean, if you have this codependent person that doesn't want you to pursue your dreams, then, you know, there's some other issues that probably need to be worked out. Um, but let's say you are yeah. completely healthy to some degree and what you love to do seems to be uh, problematic to somebody else's life. You would say this person's happiness over that person's happiness? Well, I don't know. I mean, th those are some interesting concepts and I'm certainly no authority uh, on on uh, those types of dynamics. I guess we'd probably have to have more specific details uh, to kind of look at things. But bringing up the point of, of tension and, and a happy life, I definitely think uh, just like any good story that we that we read or we watch, or we play as it may be, you, tension is is absolutely key to the dynamic of, of making that a stimulating story. And I, I honestly do think that does play into our happiness. Our happiness isn't uh, for everything to be perfect. Uh, I, I think we, we, there's evidence that we become miserable when we have absolutely... 100%. That's because uh, happiness isn't static. It's, it would be impossible right. because in order to feel happy in the first place, you need to be coming from an opposite emotion like anger or sadness you need the variation in order to understand because if happiness was uh consistent if it remained if it was never dropping then you'd just that would just be normal yeah and and there's definitely uh you know there's definitely a reward in our in our own minds whenever we overcome a challenge you know uh, I don't know if it's uh, overcoming the same challenge of the difficulty of the video games you like to play, Jack, but definitely we need to overcome uh, uh, certain levels of challenge uh, to 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 continue to feel stimulated and, and to feel happy in our in our lives. At least that's my personal opinion. No, I definitely think uh, that's not even an opinion, man. I think you're talking just the wokest possible truth. It is. That any one side of anything is garbage and it should be banned for let's let's cancel one sidedness, you know, because sure. everything needs to be polar. Everything needs it's up and down. It's left and right. It's forward and it's back because any one side of anything is missing the other. And that's not a complete picture. There's no person that's purely evil. I like to put the example of the most evil person we discuss often, which is Hitler. Hitler, the worst, the worst possible thing ever. But then let's really think about it. He had to be brought up in a situation that made that a thought that makes sense. He had to be in a circumstance where somehow this over that, he didn't wake up every day and be like, I'm the bad guy. I am right. evil for the sake of evil. Like he had motivations yeah. and ideas that in his eyes made him the good guy. Yeah, it's it's fascinating that you bring up uh, Hitler because, you know, the allies created him. Um, by, uh, you know, how hard we were on Germany uh, for World War One. I. I mean, that created the entire environment for someone like him to rise up and, and take, uh, you know, take advantage of, uh, of uh, the common Germans' uh, feelings of being wronged by the rest of the world, which they were. I mean, the way that we treated Germany after World War One is inexcusable. And kind of like what you're saying, too, I mean, his feelings were genuine. You know, it, it, it didn't just spring out one day and he wanted to start rounding up people and, and doing things. I mean, it, it came from a sense of being wronged and, and being wounded, for it, sure. It did. His humanity pushed him into that. His humanity is the reason he felt it was okay to do the things he was doing because he ultimately believed it served a greater good. He believed there was a 
picture that needed to be complete and it's not going to be complete without these pieces that I'm missing and I have, I have to do these things in these ways to accomplish it. And look, yeah, 7 million people, that's hardcore. Like, that's intense. I understand. He wasn't trying to be the bad guy, man. He didn't wake up one day. He Real emotions triggered his behavior. Real emotions triggered. He really thought he was wronged. And actually, this kind of circles back to us talking about The Last of Us, that this game is sort of based on that principle that there are these thoughts, there are these beliefs that drive a person, and no, none of them are bad. They all think the picture isn't complete without doing these things they are doing to either clear their mind, to right wrongs that they have done or have happened to them. Right. So I think for most of us, yes, that's true. I think we all have a potential for, for light and dark in us. But I will say that they say the statistics are one in 20 of us is a sociopath. That doesn't mean that they're going to kill people per se, but it de definitely does mean one in 20 of us has zero empathy and sees people uh, as pawns in a chessboard. And uh, their goal is to win at all costs. They recognize other wolves like themselves. And uh, they, they, they usually have mutual respect for each other unless they're enemies. Um, and they just see the rest of us as sheep. Um, and I'll, they typically uh, get into positions of power and they typically play the game of life at a very high level. Um, so I definitely uh, can understand some of the situations that lead to people like Hitler rising, but I definitely don't think he was just an average Joe. Yes, I definitely I don't think, think there was some higher functioning things wrong with him uh, and many people that have done super terrible things. Yeah, definitely. But I also, I, although I agree with uh, what you're saying relative to Hitler, uh, sure. the psychopath and sociopath problem is a little more nuanced than that. It's a bit of a slider, actually. There's sure. uh, no sociopath or psychopath who's really at zero empathy and zero emotional capacity. That's an impossibility. It would require missing a chunk of their brain entirely. It's actually a slider, kind of like if you think of autism, there's like a spectrum that you could land on potentially. And the psychopath-sociopath problem is when you start tilting the slider in the direction that is opposite towards the average or more high emotion areas. So if you sure. consider, if you picture like a, a ball, right, and you assign left, right, top, and bottom, so you have the left side and you say that's emotion the right side is a lack of emotion you say the top side is i don't know extrovertedness and the bottom side is introvertedness and you assign random parts to this sphere that you've created you're just moving it a little away from emotion and you've entered what we'd call the sociopath now we're all sociopaths it's just how much of one you are away from the center unless the range you're at is closer to the empathy emotion side then you are away from a sociopath because most people land somewhere between the center and empathetic emotional individuals. It kind of works the same way that autism does where 99% of people are neurotypical and then 1% are atypical. But it's not to say that there's something wrong with a person who's atypical. The world just happened to be crafted for the neurotypical individual, which me makes an atypical person struggle being raised in this environment. 
So sure. for a sociopath, yeah. it kind of works that same way. They're not zero emotions. A lot of these people have families and they have fully functional and they live in society perfectly fine. It's that one special person who has a lot of sociopathy and like you said, a million other things play into the fact that they already don't care much. Yeah. Um, again, I'm no authority, but I've, I've definitely experienced, uh, um, uh, quite a, a wide range of characters that, that definitely are very aggressive players at the game of life. And, uh, uh the moral gymnastics are definitely on display if, uh, you know what to look for, for sure. Um, and I just can't imagine the challenge of, of having to, uh, live with, with that type of thing is just kind of beyond my ability to... I don't think it's a challenge. I actually I actually don't think a person with sociopathy, a person with um, schizophrenia, a person with any of these disorders is actually going through any particular challenge because it's normal, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And, you know, that's one thing I've observed about myself and, and I think, you know, that we've even just kind of observed in, in school and with science and stuff like that is that our body and our whole experience is always trying to reach that state of homeostasis, um, that, that sense of normalcy. So I, I can, I can definitely see that being something that, you know, after a time it just becomes, you know, what we do and how we live for sure. A hundred percent. Anything that you, how do I put it? Anything you've experienced your whole life is normal and there's no abnormality to it. It's like a, the blind person raised in a world of seeing people. It's not weird to them that they're blind. It's weird to us that they're blind. But to them, blindness is fine. They traverse the world perfectly fine. Some of them don't even have like a stick when they're walking outside. They just know to stop in front of the thing. They hear the cars moving okay this is where i stop then cars start stop moving they're like okay i guess it's my time to walk and there's some impossible sixth sense they develop in doing these things that is just normal because that's always been the case it's well that that's really cool because i wasn't aware of of blind people you know kind of going out and and you know, just listening to all the sounds and especially near, near traffic, I got a little bit of anxiety when you're telling me that just imagining a blind person, you know, without, uh, you know, an animal or, or a stick or something like that. But that's, that's just fascinating to me. Oh, no, definitely. I had, there was a, when I was a child, I lived uh, in a neighborhood where there was this old blind lady always walking around. No dog, no stick, no nothing. And one day, uh, I just happened to be on the same side of the sidewalk that she was on. And I was walking behind her. I was going to pass by her. And I have no fucking clue how. I walk particularly quiet. Like, I'm a ninja when I'm stepping around. <laughs> I'm not the noisiest person. And this lady could hear my fluffy steps from a mile away. And she turned around. And I guess the pace at which I was walking at scared her. Like, I was going to try to do something. And she reacted. And she was like, hi, to kind of defuse me. Like, I know you're there. Wow. And I was like, what the fuck just happened? Like, it caught me off guard. I'm like, what the, I thought I was just going to cruise by her and she'd never notice I was even there. But she was aware, well aware that I was there. And she had like no tells, no nothing. I wasn't walking wow. on her or anything. But And how old were you? I was like 16. Okay. Wow. That, that's, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, I guess it makes sense that if we have one of our senses greatly diminished or, or gone that, you know, the other senses hyperdevelop. Uh, is that kind of what you experienced living near her? Is that she had a hyper-developed sense of, of, of hearing? I mean, that's what that moment made me think of. Beyond that, I've never really interacted with her. And I never... 
and like really gave it thought until that one moment when it happened i'm like holy crap i don't know like she had to have superhuman hearing at that point because i wasn't like standing out from the background noise right it's very interesting but that just goes to say that somebody like Hitler and the people in The Last of Us, their circumstances are incredibly normal to them. And they, they're they making the moves based on what they think is right, not what they think is wrong. Yeah, definitely sur- survival mode is, is hell for, for, for mankind. I mean, that's – man, that's pretty much why I can't watch war films anymore. I haven't watched – war movies for almost a decade just because even if the the film is kind of fictitious it's just knowing that real humans throughout our history have been placed in these these just terrible situations uh so when you talk about the last of us it's kind of the same kind of thing you know that us or them maybe we don't have time to find out what someone's intentions are. It's, you know, my tribe or yours or my team or yours or my family or yours or, or my brothers in arms or yours. You know, it's going to be you, not me. So just uh, that's one of the most heartbreaking things for me to um, to just picture us being in, which I guess is ironic since I love something like The Last of Us. And I guess it's because it's not just that. It's not just the high-end survival of the fittest aspects or just surviving to survive regardless of how it traumatizes you. I think because it just does such a great job of mixing the light with the darkness and showing us like the full human condition, uh, you know, we'll laugh, uh, we'll cry, we'll, we'll have all these experiences, I think is what, what draws me to that. But that is the reason why it's very hard for me to watch uh, war films anymore. Well, actually, I'll give you a, a war film that will fill that, I guess, the, the bridge the gap between The Last of Us and some traditional war film. It was a movie, if I could remember the name, maybe it could be pulled up right here. It's a movie with um, Brad Pitt, where he's playing a general. He's playing war Daddy? I think it is. Is it War Daddy? I have no idea. I know that he was playing this, like, general, and it's uh, the sort of relationship he has with his wife and his family that he's always... He only knows the military, if that makes sense. And he's being affected by that, and it's it shows... It's pitched as a comedy, although it didn't feel like a comedy to me. War Machine, there you go. And I... That movie, it's something about it that they they pitched it as comedy, but it was not funny to me by any means. It felt too real. Like the struggles of a person who only knows this thing and married somebody and successfully had a loving something that somewhere down the line that person realized you only know about this thing. And now I suddenly want you to communicate on a different level and be more intimate and talk to me in different ways. And this person struggles maintaining his life relationships and the only thing he knows that he's been in for like 30 years, which is the military. And it doesn't okay, focus... That, that sounds awesome. That actually sounds like something I could jack into. I think it's just more the, the boots on the ground and young men dying in pools of blood, crying for their mama that that is real and has happened and continues to happen that I, I more just, I don't need that anymore. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean? no, I fully understand. That's what I'm saying. I think this is that good bridge. Because that's it, so it's, cool. I, I haven't even heard of this movie before. Yeah, it's amazing. So Click cool. that thing to see if what, what information it has. It's uh, definitely it, it's haunting. I it's haunting the way that that last scene in The Last of Us is, which I can't, dude. I beat this game I think like a week ago, and like I can't stop thinking about that moment, dude. 
Yeah. It's like, I've never been this scarred by a game. And not in a bad way. Like, again, definitely probably one of the greatest things I've ever played. One of the ballsiest things I've ever played. But it's haunting. I cannot but, stop. But wasn't that about beautiful, it. though? It the fact was. that they had that moment. It because... was, but that's the tragic fucking part because you got to think about what's missing now that could have happened. Well, what if they didn't have that moment and then that terrible thing happened to him and now she's living with her last thoughts to her, you know, father, might as well be her father. Which know? was fuck off. Yeah, basically fuck off. Do you know what you. though? I was thinking that the whole time that because we didn't know that this last conversation sure. happened. So we're making it there and we reach this moment before that and we always see is her like you know i don't need you yeah and he just leaves sad because he's just doing impulsive fatherly things and she hates him for it but not right. really for that but he knows it's not for that but that's how it takes form when she's trying to externalize it and it looks like those sad movie moments where the last thing you say is I don't want to talk to you or I hate you. And then the person dies in like a car accident. And you're like, that's the last thing I fucking said. That's yeah. what that moment was. And I was thinking like, holy fuck, this is why she's on a revenge because she never got to get her, her sorry. So it's happy that they made peace in that moment, the yeah. end of that night. But it's like, fuck, bro. And then what Troy Baker said about his thoughts as mm -hmm. he's getting his brains bashed in. Which are, this is what happens when I let my guard down, but I'd do it again. Right. Fuck. And see, with, with Troy communicating that about his character, that is so authentic to me. You know, it's not this poetic like, oh, well, you know, this is, you know, this is, I had this coming. No, a person like him is, this is what happened when I let my guard down. Like, that's so authentic and true and that's just again plays into the organic human condition that we see from all of these actors yes and the, the, that marriage like we were talking about before the marriage of the writing and the marriage of their performance that special lightning in a bottle man it is it's it's once in a lifetime and this right here this this is that this is that related to the military i highly highly recommend that i watch i can't watch this movie again i already know it's, it's in store for i made it through because I began. I'm not a person to quit on things. But it gets hard because of the reality of it. And it's like, imagine struggling to communicate your emotions to somebody because you don't know the words. There's no... Right. It's not there. It's not present. And you've never experienced the circumstance to teach you how to articulate that because all you know is this other world. That's this movie. Well, you've you've pretty much sold me on this, so I'm gonna have to check this out. Uh, looks like it's on Netflix. Yes. Yeah, that. I mean, you're you're just speaking my language right there, man. Man, that movie crushed me, though. This I'm telling you, this movie competes. This entire movie competes with that last moment of The Last awesome. of Us. It's that emotion of like, fuck, man. Right on. Yeah, and and see this this also goes back into what we were talking about because you know when we get spoiled. On a lot of these good stories, I don't know about you, but where I will often find myself uh, when I'm in the mood to just watch something, I'll just sit there and browse Netflix forever and never find something that I really just, you know, that looks appealing. So this saves me that I can just dive into War Machine uh, uh, when I'm in the, the, my next movie mood. A hundred percent. And you know what? As you're saying that, you're right. I don't know if you like anime. Do you like anime? 
I I'm, I don't really like anime anymore per se. Um, I'm but again I'm open to any great stories. Uh, when I was in high school, that was back when America was really because I'm I'm old. Uh, America <laughs> that was back when America was really getting into it. So yeah, man, I was watching Akira. I was watching Vampire Hunter D. But I don't know anything about the anime game right now. Oh my god! Well, I got one for you on Netflix. And this story, this story sent me down rabbit holes of trying to find anything like it because not many stories are told this well. And it's called I think the Forest of Words, um, the Garden of Words. There we wow. go. Okay, so the the Garden of Words. It's just well, an don't anime. Don't spoil it for me. Don't. don't yes. No, no go in blind. Go okay. in blind. Write it down somewhere and enjoy. It's not the longest thing in the world. You could watch it. Look at that. It's 46 minutes. You could watch this easily. Okay. It's brief. And Ooh, it's, it's on Netflix. Yes. It's a Netflix original, I think. And this kind of ruined a lot of animes for me because the story was so... And it's not action. We're not talking magic or abilities. We're t it's a sure, drama. Sure. But awesome. Fuck. And there's another one that totally enraged me. And I want, I wish I become an anime. You ever seen something that causes so much emotion? You like wish you could jump in. This actually happened to me with radio. You know, the movie radio. Yes. Okay. With Cuba Gooding Jr. I wanted right. to jump into that movie with a, like an, like a revolver and just start Rick, Rick Grimesing the crap out of all these football players for being <laughs> assholes. So right. there's a an anime. Oh crap! I don't know the name of this one. It's about a deaf girl. Put that in there. Maybe that that'll pop up. And fuck, bro. I've a silent voice. Yeah, you saw that? No, no, no. I just you know, we're we're pulling it up here. So oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Silent voice. Put that down too. This one's kind of lengthy though. This is a full. Oh my god, bro. Okay. I saw this alone in the middle of the night, and I almost cried. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Bro, I was so angry. I was so angry. I'm going to send myself IMs in your window so I, I have these. Go for it. Go for it. Uh, man, I highly recommend these. These are like this war machine and a garden of words. Some of the best storytelling I have ever witnessed. None of it is fantastical. None of it contains any kind of um, magic or exaggeration. These are just legit dramas. And right War Machine on. is a heart destroyer, and so is this one. The Garden of Words is just a really well-told story that's hard to compete with. But A Silent Voice and War Machine are like emotion destroyers. So you're trying to destroy my heart, Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I'm trying to destroy I, your heart. I can respect that. I can respect that. And when it comes to content, these are some of the best things. But in every one of these cases, they kind of crap on all the other things. It's right. one of those, you make it through this and then you're like, I don't really care much for this anymore because nothing is going to keep up. Well, that, that's both a good feeling and a bad feeling, you know, the best uh, the best and worst of both worlds. I know. That sucks, doesn't it? Because you always, or at least you want it to go on forever, but you also don't want it to go on forever. Right. It's It's a weird mixture of emotions. I don't even know how to describe it it's complicated it's really i hope you enjoy all of this stuff and keep up with me you, you check yeah, back yeah, in yeah. after you absolutely you i'm gonna things. let you know and i'm gonna be honest my friend i'm gonna be honest jack so if if it doesn't if it doesn't do it for me i'm gonna let you know yes do that see i love that i love that level of honesty yeah 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 that brings up an interesting point how do you handle comments uh by that way what do you mean when you make a video i don't know how like i haven't 
delved into your uh, your comment section, I'm very aware that it is one of the most toxic environments as well as filled with praise. It's a weird mixed bag of disasters happening. Right. So um, usually most of it is is very positive. Um, so I don't know if I've just been fortunate. Uh, in that. But yeah, I mean, you definitely get people who are very passionate uh, in the opposite way, you know, um, and, and my my whole my whole kind of uh, creed is, you know, uh, you like what you like and you don't like what you don't like and you don't need to defend that to anyone. But you do have a, a responsibility to yourself and to everybody else to be able to agree and disagree re respectfully and to not be hateful. So, yeah, we got people that, that don't like it and they're they're kind of like searching and they're kind of expressing, you know, I just couldn't get into Abby or, you know, why did they do this? As long as they're not being hateful, uh, they're cool. But when you get people that come in here and, and, and try to say that the game's political and they try to, you know... Um, all this other kind of stuff and they're, they're being very negative and they just can't even, uh, you know, view, let's say a lesbian relationship as a normal human experience. No, to them, it's, it's totally political and they're, they're trying to brigade in the comments. Yeah. Th those people, you know, we do have to just say, okay, off to oblivion with you because that type of negativity isn't welcome here. But normally you don't typically see that kind of thing. At least I haven't so far. Well, okay, that brings up two different things. First of all, Abby versus Ellie, who do you like better go? Who do I like better? Oh, man. Like if you have to pick a side and the other one is dying for a fact. Man, I don't know. That's uh, whew. That, that's that's a that's a tough one. Um, I don't really think there is a, a, a choice for me, man. I love both of those characters. I and I mean, that's really the triumph. The triumph was Jack. My experience, my, my, once, you know, the end of that theater scene in the middle of the game, and then it's day one Seattle Abbey. And I'm like, oh, come on, you're going to make me play her? I thought well, the same thing. I'm well, like, I don't even care. By the end of it, I'm like, mission accomplished because I love her. Yeah, dude, I felt you I know? was on that same so, roller coaster. To me, to, yeah, for us to have those feelings when we start her and when we, you know, end as her. Uh, that makes it very challenging to kind of answer that question. It is, man. It's it's like I I I perfect. You described my whole thing. I remember complaining. My girlfriend was hating every moment of that. She was like, because oh, sure. she was happy. She was like, hey, more story. Meanwhile, I'm like, I don't fucking. I was bitching for like that first scene. I'm like, I don't care about you. Your homies are cool though. I like that Spanish guy. He's kind of chill. Yeah. But man. like, I don't care about you, man. And as time goes by, I stop talking, and I'm just like. Man, well, to badass. your girlfriend's credit, there were two things that I that I experienced was like like we we said like oh man you're gonna make me play her, uh, uh, but once we kind of see that there's all of this uh, skill trees to unlock and she's got weapons and things like that, my metagame relief came flooding in realizing there was just so much more to play. I didn't uh, even think about that. My I actually had two layers of anger opposite to you. I oh, had really? the, you're making me play her? And then the second one, which was, what about all the shit I already worked to get? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So I was like, man, you're just destroying my experience right now, which was a total lie because it just, it kept, it was an infinite up. Like, it just got better. Yeah. It's so crazy. 
but you can't choose between them. It's it's a struggle like that. Huh? I, I can't, man. I, I can't. Uh, I'm actually afraid that I might choose Abby and then people will really come after me. So, no, I have no favorite children. <laughs> Gotta stick to that safe one. Yeah. See, he, here's the thing. We know Abby won the first fight. Right. And we know that Ellie won the second fight. Yes. And so, they're one the one for a fact when they were both perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. We know that in that situation, Abby would have taken it and she let her go. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, out of that, if it was like a who would win, it would be Abby 100%. We, that was proven. Abby would win in a fight between Abby and Ellie. And Ellie is a skilled individual and she can handle herself. But she clearly didn't have more drive than Abby's infinite moving rage that could just not escape her. Yeah, it, but it's it's really kind of unfair. I mean, the whole the whole matchup is really unfair. I mean, freaking Abby's a soldier. I mean, yes, Ellie is a skilled uh, huntress, you know, uh, so on and so forth. But being uh, a scout for Jackson doesn't even compare to fighting a, a raging civil war uh, like the WLF. Uh, so it really is like taking a a really good you know, high school hunter and putting him against a hardened soldier. I mean, who do you think is going to win? Yeah, 100%. I, I completely agree with that. And here is something we have not discussed. I guess this episode is really the last of a centric, but <laughs> it's such a good game, bro. I could talk about this with anybody for the rest of eternity at this point. But the character design for Abby and the contrast of her with Ellie, like, let's really unpack this. She is a straight this physically dominant, like muscular yet feminine individual to the contrast of the delicate, physically girly, but tomboyish Ellie. And there's some, I'm so amazed by the choices taken for Abby in this creation that it's like, you don't see this every day and there's something like attractive about her okayness like she even acknowledges at some point like her muscularness and then we see that when she didn't get to work out her arms lost mass it was a conscious choice she was making and it wasn't like i'm a muscular chick and thus i'm masculine and a lesbian no she was just a straight chick who was muscular yeah absolutely no i i felt like it was it was uh very believable for me and very it felt very organic to me and i i actually really enjoyed her aesthetic you know, while playing her, I, you know, I just, I really, uh, I really jacked into that entire experience of being Abby and being there with her as like this kind of inhabiting uh, guardian angel type character going through this, these three days. Um, but yeah, man, I totally, uh, I'm totally picking up what you're putting down. I felt, I felt the exact same way. And I really, uh, one of the scenes that I really loved was the, when she finds Owen, uh, in the boat and, you know, they have that stressful kind of really organic human exchange. And then they, you know, uh, the next thing you know, they're in a passionate embrace. I just really loved how real all of that was from her physical appearance. Everything about it, uh, was just so powerful for me. And that's the type of realism. I I hope this means that we're going to start seeing more of this type of thing, uh, in, in this medium. 
I hope so, but people tend to play it safe. On the flip side, what's going to happen is this one is going to be the standard and they're going to oversaturate the market with games that try to emulate the edginess or the whatever they think is happening in this game. Because that tends to happen. A good example of this is uh, Journey. I don't know if you've ever played the game Journey. I have not. Okay, amazing game. It's a game where the story is left up to you. It's nothing but you on a trip to a mountain. There's a mountain in a distance. You start, a star hits the sand. And out of that star appears this creature. This creature sees the mountain at a distance and they just start wandering in that direction. And in your way there, there is no story told to you. You just find hieroglyphs in ruins and you piece together what you think is happening. No story is told to you. This is an award-winning masterpiece. And after this, this was the first of its kind. Nothing like this existed. People even debate whether this was a video game because there wasn't conflict. There was no anything that could harm you in the game. You just keep moving forward. And a wave of these games happened. Nobody was willing to try something like this before this game. But after it happened, there are so many replicas. And nothing holds a candle to the original. And look at uh, Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto came out, and it kept releasing DLC for free, DLC for free, and their sales kept multiplying annually, multiplying annually by so many. It is the most profitable game, actually, it's the most profitable piece of content in the world. It's generated $6 billion. That's fucking crazy. And they've sold nothing but the game. You could buy shark cards to cheat your way, which is really where a lot of the money is coming into, but you could earn everything with in-game currency by just playing the game. Nobody wanted to follow the format before they did it, but then they made $6 billion. So now you see even Call of Duty, the people who sell everything to you, have their Warzone, which is free content every couple of months, more free content, because everybody wants to ride that horse. Right. They want the money. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, uh, two sides to that. Kind of like you say, uh, there could be the oversaturation, which the oversaturation doesn't bother me as much so long as it can still provide an avenue for those true passionate storytellers, those true passionate, you know, video game developers that are really trying to tell a story that they care about. Um, so for those gems, I will trade the oversaturation of, of a new type any, any day. However, like you say, it can be destructive to killing some original types of games that we won't see anymore because a more cheaper, uh, a more cost effective format has come out. And that happened with uh, World of Warcraft. Uh, it changed the MMO landscape forever. Uh, which many people view for the worst, kind of like myself. We see, you know, games like Star Wars Galaxies just go into the wilderness and never return. And they were really revolutionizing, uh, that type of inhabitable sandbox game. And, and it's just kind of gone now, except for stuff like Minecraft. Yeah, Minecraft is actually a freaking work of a masterpiece as well, but that is definitely a problem. There will always be that over-exaggerated, over-saturation of content, and I feel where uh, I see where you're coming from, that it, so long as it gives the road, it paves that road that other people who want to do that thing do have the opportunity now because the companies want the money or whatever, and hey, right. it worked, so now you get to tell your story so long as it's edgy and it fits the whatever, but it's going to get to the point where finding those good ones is going to be difficult because 
all companies are going to be, any story company is going to be pushing to, you need to tell the edgiest, most heart-wrenching story. And there's going to be mountains and mountains of it. And you're going to get halfway and be like, man, I just wasted my money because they're really trying. They, that's their goal to just, they're not telling a story. They're trying to make it emotional so that I feel like I got something out of it. And like, sure. I'm not looking forward to that experience where everything is marketed as this highly emotional experience that you're going to love. And it's a, you know, the next last of us where they're going to, cause I know somebody's going to use that shit as a tagline. It's the I next last of us. <laughs> That's a pretty big thing to say. That is a pretty big thing to say, but we know somebody's going to bite off of that. And maybe there's going to be something in that ballpark sometime in the future. But how are we going to track that down when everything is pretending to be that? Sure. Now, that being said, there's a game that exists that if you like stories is for you and it's called Firewatch. I knew you were going to say that. I'm playing it right now. Well, uh, I'm playing it and I'm probably going to talk about it. I play like the first 30 minutes and uh, I have my save uh, and I'm definitely going to resume to it and hopefully... Uh, I've heard lots of good things about it, so I'm hoping it's something that I can talk about on the channel, and then that would, that would give you and I something to talk about again. Yes, 100%. There's so much going on when it comes to that game. I Oh, God, I'm so happy you're playing it. You're going to- That's cool. You're going to find so much in that game. The same way you find, for example, you're discussing in your videos the symbols that show up in The Last of Us and all the intricate details relative to them and what you believe the the as they show up repeatedly, what the metaphors are trying to convey are. And when you're talking about certain character behaviors and you're being very introspective and looking at what the nuance behind it, this game is drowning in that. Well, now, see, I feel like there's this expectation. I have a fear now that I'm not going to see anything and <laughs> that there's an expectation for me to talk about it. But I guess I'll just have to approach it in an organic way. But are you playing Cyberpunk? No. Wait, that game is out already? Yes. Oh, no. I did not even realize that was out already. Yes. I'm, I'm actually and really that... souped to see how that story goes. And then they announce there's going to be a multiplayer for that. I want to see what the hell that turns out to be like. Oh, wow. Because I was going to ask you how you are doing with aiming, because that is my pretty much my sole criticism right now, as I'm finding it extremely difficult to uh, aim effectively in the most beginning combat. Um, but everything else I'm seeing about it just looks incredible and great. I just want to not suck in combat. Well, interesting, because I value when aiming isn't easy. That's one of my favorite things about The Last of Us. That they never made just like, well, I can shoot my hand is super straight and every shot is a clean across. Like you miss a good half of your shots if you're not really thinking about it. Yeah, but this is extremely laborious. I feel like the controls are totally out of whack. I'm like, I know I'm not a Jedi master like you when it comes to, you know, difficulty and controls, but it definitely feels like something is wrong here. Oh, really? And uh, I've only searched a little bit and it, I, from what I was able to observe, there were quite a few people like on Reddit talking about the aiming as well. And I'm still trying to find a way to kind of fix it. Of course, the game just came out yesterday. Um, but yeah, so I'll, I'll be curious to know. You'll have to hit me up, man, and let me know what you think of the aiming once you get the game. Oh, hell yeah, definitely. And if you find a, a solution on how to fix it, you got to let me know. Definitely, definitely. Um, I'm actually fascinated by this. It, it might be... Here's the thing. This 
uh, continue to circling the gaming discussion, we have the problem in which it doesn't matter how clean and polished a game looks. Lately, anything that's been released is incomplete. And we have to get day one patches and then weeks and weeks of repetitive daily patches so that a game that was allegedly complete is completed a year from its release date. Sure. And I'm probably in the minority that that doesn't really bother me as much. I know and that, you know, for other people, everybody's experience is different. But for me, I, I kind of just try and take into account the big endeavor that these things are i mean they they you know big triple a titles like that uh cost you know small fortunes to develop so i i have a little bit of patience with that as long as it's not just truly devastatingly uh broken um so i try at least i try to be understanding about it i should no, say no i fully um, i fully comprehend where you're coming from and i actually agree with that the problem would be that why not just wait longer until the product is done? And that's that's another true uh, uh, perspective. And I'm so glad they did that with The Last of Us Part Two. You know, they kept setting it back. Of course, COVID hit the world and nobody was prepared for what that was going to do. But they also delayed it for some other non-COVID related reasons as well. Uh, and every time I heard that they were kicking back the date, I never once got upset. You know, it's kind of like what you're talking about. I'm like, no, that's great. And I think for the most part, I, I don't really remember anything being wrong with it when I was playing it. Definitely. It was, uh, yo, I didn't even experience a single bug in that game. That game was yeah. kind of immaculate. It was really, Absolutely. really was. And I think that goes to show, like, if you need a day one patch, you release that game fully aware that it was missing something. If That's the true. moment I download the game, it came out an hour ago, I downloaded the game, and there's a day one patch, you knew there was something wrong with the game, and you didn't incorporate it. You made discs, you uploaded it to the PlayStation Store, or to the Xbox Store, or whatever you did, you were marketing and selling it already fully aware of that problem. And that yeah. I don't like. Yeah, it, it can absolutely be frustrating for sure. Uh, I would just hate to be, you know, the game director for anything like that because, you know, once you start getting big corporations and financiers involved and they're the ones that are telling you when to push something out and, you know, as an artist or, or being proud of your team and your work, you don't want to, but you're not the one for the contract that gets to state that. I mean... I wouldn't even want to begin imagining trying to wrangle all those uh, types of things. I mean, just being involved in management of a production floor, as I was in the past, I mean, you, you begin to see how all different levels of management come together and your guys are wondering why you're having to do something this way. So, yeah, I, I, I definitely. But see, I that takes have... us into the problem with capitalism. That's, oh. that's, the big, that's the big problem fueling all this bullshit, investors and garbage like that. That's, right. that's the real issue because we think of Neil Druckmann who just got promoted. Congratulations to him. Yeah, to, he did, you saw that. Yeah, and look, yeah, I yes. have theories on why this happened in the first place. Primarily oh, – cool. I, I, I want to hear your theories. Oh, yeah, like primarily it's entirely because one, this game did so fucking well mm -hmm. that his boss – is like he knows his worth. He can leave this fucking company, start his own shit, and not have anybody above him. Wow. I need him to understand his value and also not ever want to leave because he's the, the, the owner, the president, 
isn't the the idea man. He's the guy who right. gets paid. So now, the idea man and the guy who gets paid is also Neil Druckmann. Right. So it's it it was a tactical move ahead of the awards that just happened. You're right about that. Yeah, the promotion came first. Yeah, they made it three days ahead of it. What a what a fucking coincidence. But it still goes to show that Neil Druckmann said, "I need more time," and this guy wasn't like, "No, you have a deadline." Sure. He did what? Push it as far back as you need it. And then right again, on. oh no, I need more time. I, I I estimated wrong. He's like, "No fucking problem. Push it as back as you need." Think of DLCs for Grand Theft Auto. Well, we thought we we're going to put it out this way. We're going to push it out a couple of weeks. We're going to push it out a couple of months. But who's who's saying no? Because they know their creators are on point. Look at Kojima. PlayStation said, however fucking long you need, you've got. Doesn't matter. Right. Do whatever you want. And until management changed in Konami, Kojima had that same right over there, which was take as long as you need. And use as much of our money and resources as you want. We're not going to question it because we know you're good for it and you're going to bring it back. Only when management changed and then some pretentious douchebag became boss did he did the whole fucking Konami thing happen. But the point is that the good work shows the greatest work in the world comes from the people who are lenient and allow the creators to create. And then you enter the capitalists who think they're smarter than the creators. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, a great leader... Uh, a great leader really understands his team and puts the right people uh, in charge and allows these people to not only have ownership of what their function is, but uh, the, a great, great leaders always listen and, and take, uh, you know, their advice and in, into play. It doesn't, it doesn't always mean that they're going to go uh, with what's recommended and just because they don't go with what's with what their you know juniors recommend doesn't make them a bad leader, but a good leader always listens and incorporates uh, all those ideas. And so, you know, we get to to see great products like what you're talking about when those things all all come together. That's really the case. It's uh, I look at Moment Sky, another one. It's it's really that. It's capitalism and chasing the money rather than letting the person who's going to bring you the money chase the art. You want right. them to also chase the money. And no, no, no. You hired them because they're chasing the art. That's the point here. But you're going to force them to follow your dream of chasing the money when you letting them chase the art is what's going to bring you the money. So you end up with these crazy flop games that come out and they turn out to be garbage. They market as this amazing thing because you put this amazing person behind the seat, but then you restricted them and you're like, you can only use this much for this long and you, if you don't, you fucking put it out yeah. anyways. It's like, the okay. same thing happens in the film industry with the producers because you have the, the creative... Uh, you know, head that they bring in the director, but then, you know, you have six executive producers and this producer is saying, you know, you got to put this in the movie and the director's like, oh, okay. Did you ever watch the documentary that they made about that Nicolas Cage Superman movie that never came out? No, there was a fucking Nicolas Cage Superman movie. Oh, what an eccentric man. Jack, Superman. You got, Jack, you got to check it out. <laughs> but it, it really shows some awesome scenes of some of the crazy ways that producers meddle in the creative process. And, you know, you're thinking that you're a creative person, you know, you're a good storyteller, you can work with whatever they throw at you. You know, they throw you one challenge after another. Uh, but uh, I, I, I don't want to spoil it because 
you're going to be laughing so hard and kind of rolling your eyes. And you know that you can extrapolate what's happening here to so many films that we've seen. Sure, this is this is the backstory of what happened behind the scenes with this movie that never came out. But you, you just know that that has infected so many films and resulted in what we got. So I think it kind of goes into the the video game interference of uh, the investors. Oh, and, 100%. And the I actually think this problem plagues every medium of art. Like, there's both sides to it. Like, if we look at, for example, uh, Christopher Nolan, he he gets full freedom. Nobody questions him. They are like, you do what you got to do. You take as long as you have to take. We're not going to judge you. We're not going to question you. We're not going to pressure you to do shit because you're sure. good for it. And then that's what true. He but puts sometimes even people like Christopher Nolan should be questioned, especially when it comes to sound mixing. Sound mixing? What do you mean? Oh man, have you seen the? Uh, have you seen Tenet? Tenet? No, that just came out. Yes, uh, you you basically have to have subtitles on. Uh, great movie. Everything that I could understand was happening. Um, it was just it, it was really hard to hear anybody talking, and I had heard that that was a problem before I saw it. But I was like, it really can't be that bad, can it? And then when I'm watching the film, I'm like, oh my god, I can't hear what they're saying. <laughs> like it's you're really going by a lot of context clues, and you're picking out one word because the sound mixing is just so insane. Wait, is that the one where this guy controls time or some shit? Yes, oh. yes, it's the movie that just came out a couple of months ago. Absolutely, oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm usually on Christopher Nolan's side, but that sounds crazy. No, I am too. And I, I love Christopher Nolan. I love so much of what he's brought. But I do wish that he would transition to a serial format, like do an HBO series like his brother. Uh, because I, I feel like with Christopher Nolan that he crams too much into the third and fourth acts. The third and fourth acts of his movie are just so insanely paced and it's like what you're saying is so awesome and if you would just stretch it out and 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 give us more intimacy with the characters and more intimacy with what's going on I would just love to see what he would do with that personally. But see, now I gotta I gotta come and judge you for this one because oh, no. you're talking about something that you kind of know specifically as a writer that goes over the heads of a lot of people. People don't really realize how important pacing is. And you do. You know the difference between a short sentence with complicated words and a long sentence with short words or a long sentence with complicated words or which words you use if you say crawl versus slug and you mean the same thing. You're moving slow, but the image portrayed changes the pacing. That That's something you're aware of as a person who personally does it. You make YouTube videos where you have to decide the pacing of certain parts to focus on other parts. That's engraved in you. If you're not creating something that is a long form, something that is continuous rather than something you look at, for example, a painting or something, then the pacing is engraved in you when you do it. But if you don't, a lot of people have no idea that that's even affecting their lives. And you're coming sure. from the perspective of somebody who's familiar with pacing. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I would just really uh, love to see what, what he would do in a longer format. But I think he's just so passionate about film and he doesn't want to let it go that he's going to still over inject his two hour time that or they let him, you know, make a three or four hour movie if that's what he wants to do. See, this you know? is this is where uh, something interesting comes in. Do you think that the Last of Us show should happen? 
So, yeah, um, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, do I think it should happen? Yes. Yes. Like I saw your, your video on this and I want to like dive into that real quickly. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I, I absolutely think it should happen. Like I say at the beginning, um, uh, it really is, uh, a great achievement for them, for them to be optioned by HBO. It makes me so happy for Naughty Dog, for Neil, for, for everybody that was a part of, of those two pieces of art. Um, and you, you know, if you've watched the video, you, you kind of saw my reactions about, uh, how I felt about it, which, you know, uh, I expressed pretty honestly, I will say this, you know, with everybody participating in the conversation and everybody talking in the comments and sharing their opinions, uh, I'm starting to feel those little, you know, fireflies of excitement kind of deep down. So, uh, uh I do love that, you know, so I, I'm starting to get little sparks of, of excitement for, for what they might do. Man, I am not on board. I not, think not on board. I'm not on board because the initial argument you made is the truth of the matter. I sure. am still and probably going to be processing what I've witnessed for a very, very long time. Right. And just throwing out this other whole thing about it is it's like you said, too soon. It's too immediate. Right. And I don't know, man. I feel like I need coping time. It's like I got to mourn for a bit and you just want to like, hey, man, your wife just died. Also, this is Lacey. I think you'll really like her. And it's like... (laughs) Would you like to go on a date? Yeah, like maybe give me some time to uh, process my 50-year relationship ending suddenly. Yes. And like, nah, man, that's hardcore. On top of the fact, on top of the fact that I agree with your perspective on a potential sequel, like what that would look like. Sure. Fuck that. I want that more than I want this. Well, maybe we can have both or something close to both. You know what I mean? But then that happens like death note, the movie versus death note, the anime. Like I don't care for this movie. Well, Kind of like uh, what some of the subscribers were giving me the ideas for. I mean, what happens if 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 all of it's amazing? I mean, what happens if we we love it all? Oh you man, know? that'd be great. But what happens if it's better than the video game that you grew to love, and you're like, this should be the reality? Well, if it's better than what I experienced there, uh, more power to it. That means that Neil did it right. That means the people he put into play did it right. I mean, that would be a best case scenario for me, even though there's that reactionary part that's like, that's sacrilege. It can't be better. And, you know, it probably won't be. But if it's just another way to to enjoy this story that we love and to express this beautiful story that we love, um, I'm starting to warm up to it, you know, just from having conversations. I mean, I'll let you talk me into it, shit. You got to... <laughs> I'll I'll stay in touch to see what if if you've got some feedback that'll change my mind because I'm definitely on the team of like I don't care make it whether I'm gonna watch it or not is really the argument here you know because I'm not like no don't make it I'm not one of those I don't care like whatever do it if you want to do it but like well, at the at the very least Neil is in charge of the show I like that a lot but yeah. see make it canon and don't retell that's it that's all I ask. Do it in the world of The Last of Us. Don't do it about Ellie. Don't do it about Joel. Sure. 
give us a different part of the world. And then I don't care. Then that's amazing. You've shown us a different light. I, I definitely understand that. And I, I would have no issues with that. Unfortunately, I do think they pitched the the uh, arc of, of the first game. And I think that's how they got the deal. So I, I definitely think it's going to be an adaptation of part one. Oh, that sucks. Because you know what I would really like to see? I would like a prequel showing me Tess and Joel's experiences. Oh, yeah. That would be amazing. Or not even that. We get cut off right after what happens with this guy's daughter. But there is a lot more happening immediately right after that scene. Show me that first year. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm on board for, for any story in the games they want to show us. And, and of course, uh, if they're going to show us things in the series that didn't happen in the games, I, I'm, I'm definitely game for that as well. Um, but yeah, I've just been, you know, starting to get a little bit excited, especially when I kind of realized that the show is not coming out next year. I mean, the show is going to be, I think, what, 2023, 2024, somewhere around then. Okay, so see, that's gonna... good. I get to process it for a little more. So yeah, you get to grieve for three or four more years, my friend. Man, but I'm telling you, I'm so haunted. I'm so haunted. I'm so haunted by that game. I like. I want to jump back in and do it again. I'm going to yeah. jump back in and do it again. I specifically love that in this version of the game, they allowed us to, to they gave us like the, the the scenes that we could jump into and just play particular parts we like that's great yeah i find that amazing so i'm probably gonna do that i love the hospital scene when we're getting there for the first time and like sneaking around that shit's so fucking difficult loved it yes so i am happy about that i'm gonna process this game for the rest of eternity and then i'm gonna be a hater the second the show shows out and i'm gonna be like <laughs> no screw you you're not better even before i've seen it and then i'm gonna watch it and love it and be like i'm a hypocrite and then preach <laughs> for the show like whatever anyways we are running out of time here dude this has been fantastic talking to you i love that you came on this was really good dude i love picking your brain Jack, thank you so much for inviting me on the show. It's it's been such a such a pleasure to to speak with you, man. Been uh, been a lot of fun. Definitely, man. Let everybody know where they can find everything you're doing, everywhere you're at, your socials, contact information, your channel, all the good stuff. Awesome. Yeah. So I'll just keep it simple. You guys can just search for Wolf of Thorns on YouTube if you're a fan of The Last of Us, especially. I have some video essays that dive deep into just appreciation for the storytelling and the themes of the game, at least as I see it. I also have some humorous videos and some film essays all done to a slick edit, or so I hope. So if that sounds like your thing, just swing on by and say hi. You can also find me on Twitter at ThornsTM, so feel free to buzz me on there as well. Perfect, man. I I am so glad you did this, dude. I very much enjoyed this conversation. I loved picking your brain. I, I love talking to artists, dude, creators in general. There is some oddity, some unique weirdness to anybody who's choosing to create as their method of expression that I don't mean to put everybody else who's not creative down, you lack. Anybody who's not creating lacks this sort of connection to the other side this vision of a world that doesn't exist and you definitely have access to it and i love that you bring that into this world and share your mind and your what you're seeing what you're seeing what you're understanding 
And it's really good, man. I You definitely keep doing what you're doing. This is going to blow up any minute. And when you do, don't forget me. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and Jack, I just want to say I really like the platform that you have here and, and your format, just the, you know, the just conversation uh, is exactly what it is. And, and I think it's uh, I think it's awesome, man. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited. And thank you for giving me several uh, movies and a couple of animated checkout. And I'm definitely going to let you know. Uh, whether I love it or whether I hate it, I'll, I'll blast you in the DMs for, for setting this upon me or I'll praise you in the uh, emails and the private messages, my friend. I'll let you know. Hell yeah, man. Definitely. Don't don't be a stranger. And uh, also keep me uh, updated on your experiences with uh, uh, Firewatch, whether or not you make some content on that. Uh, let me know where you land because that's going to be great. I, I really want to know where your mind lands, where it goes. When you get to the crazy part, you let me know. I, I want to know your thoughts on that specifically. Before you even finish it, you tell me because you're going to know as soon as you hit the crazy part. And I just want you to be like, this is what I think is happening. Awesome. Will do, Jack. Definitely, man. So I'm going to let you go, man. And I'll, I'll keep you updated. I'll hit you up in DM soon and let you know all the information relative to when this comes out. And I'll tell you all that good stuff. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for reaching out, man. And uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. Hell yeah, dude. No question. You're, you don't understand. Now we're homies and you're screwed because you have to deal with me for the rest of eternity. <laughs> right on, brother. Right on. Well, you take care, man. And I'll talk to you soon. Yes, man. Enjoy your evening. You too. Be safe out there in this scary COVID place. Same to you, man. Be safe. All right. Bye-bye. So, Abby versus Ellie. Abby, who will you pick? You got to make a choice. Oh, you didn't make a choice. It I was didn't. Just him, I didn't. I was putting him on the chose spot. no one. Yeah, bro. I'm on board. You're on board. I'm on board you with that. You have to. Or one of them dies. They both die. If they you, both die if you don't choose one. If you don't side with one, they're both dead. Yes. Oh, fuck. Well, so you're okay with that, I guess. You're okay with that. If you don't side with one, they both die. That's hardcore, dude. But you pick one, they both live. No, one of them dies. No, no, it has no. to be... What? No. This is my Saw game. They both live as long as you choose one. But that's not even like a competition. I'll choose Ellie. I'm closer to her. Okay. If that's it's all. like, I gotta get one killed. Oh, that's different. Now it's about who's your real favorite. Oh, okay. Well, if they're just that, if they were both alive, you pick Ellie. Yeah. Okay. But if one dies, you think that makes a difference? Yes, because I'll never see one of them again. Okay, so you like Ellie, but you wouldn't want to see Abby dead. They're both so awesome. And then I was against Ellie, though, for a little, just because I was on Ellie's side. I flipped. I just flipped throughout the story. You flipped throughout the story? Yeah, it's like, I was so for Ellie. Ugh, Abby. But then I was like, oh, Abby. Oh, no. Man, Abby. you see, I experienced that. I experienced that same thing when I was playing. I experienced the being on. At, like, I never turned on Ellie. I But I began with the, oh, fuck, I don't want to play this lady. Yes. But then as moments started rolling by and, Joe, well done. Well done, Truckman, bro. It's just once Abby let Ellie free, I. <sighs> I understand that Ellie still needed that revenge. That revenge didn't just disappear because now I have a chance to live. No, it was still there. I just wish she let it go at that moment. But of course, she just couldn't. Who, Ellie? Yeah. Yeah. But it would have been nice if she did. And then she would have gotten everything. She would have the wife, the child, 
the how the farm that was beautiful but her revenge it just it destroyed it and man oh, so good problematic for real that's crazy but i don't know man like and she lost her fingers man that's hardcore she lost everything she's just like tommy tommy also lost everything everything revenge ruined both of their lives but you can tell they both love joe yeah so much. they were down to ruin their whole lives for joe it's crazy and then that last man i'll never i can't I can't deal with it. It's so crazy. That last scene is so intense. And it's the quietest conversation. Yeah. But it's so... It's like, it's hopeful if you didn't know what was happening. What was yeah. going to happen. But you know what's going to happen. And it's like... Because oh. you're thinking the whole time. Man, what a fucked up way for her to end that. Like, she just told him to fuck off and then he died. Like, Whoa! whoa, yeah. your life sucks. Go kill yourself, Ellie. But then you see that, man, they were making peace. Yeah. And but then... at least they did make peace. It's Yes, it sucks that that moment is when he dies, but at least that moment did happen. Like, it's good. It's bad, but it's good. And then with what Druckmann added, that little, that sprinkle makes it a little easier. Because it's the whole, I would not trade the time I did get for this moment to not exist. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm going to die, whatever. At least I got the girl. <laughs> yes. Like, I would do it all over again. That's bravo to him for that being the thought he's having while playing that scene. Mm -hmm. That's so deep and profound. It is. It, oh, man, that ending. It's so beautiful. I don't know. It is. That game is such a mixed fucking it's a, bag. It's a complete story, I think. Yeah. Like, yeah, it would be cool to see what happens next, but even if they don't, yeah. If it ends there, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, look, what happened at the end of The Last of Us 1 assures us. Well, no, not really. It doesn't assure us the second part coming. What happens at the end of the first part leaves that question, and it doesn't tell you drama will unfold from this. It just l lets that, is he a good guy, or did we just watch the bad guy? Yes. It leaves that question lingering, and you're like, man. But did that problem ever gets solved do you like what do you feel after this though does he feel like the good guy now i don't think he cares whether he's moral or amoral no I think... about how you feel about him because in the first game that's what you're thinking whether he's really the good guy or bad guy at the end well i think uh this game established that nobody's the bad guy everybody's the good guy okay yes. i think everybody was the good guy the wolf aren't the bad guy the scars. the scars aren't the bad guy. The fireflies aren't the bad guy. Fedra wasn't the bad guy. Jackson's aren't the bad guy. Nobody's the bad guy. Everybody's yeah. doing what they need to to survive. Yeah, and that involves don't trust people, and sometimes that means you kill a person. And it's it's real. Shit's real. Like what the fuck can you do about it? Um, that moment was a panic reaction that he had. In thinking, I lost my little girl, and they just told me this girl that I just spent a year with is about to die, and I can stop it. I can save a little girl. That's not, like, he's not thinking I can save Ellie. He's not thinking I can save, what the hell was his daughter's daughter. name? Sarah. He's thinking, I can save the girl. That's Are the you only sure he wasn't thinking I could save my daughter? I'm pretty <laughs> sure it was a mixture of, like, images in his mind. Yeah. 
and he thinks I can save the girl and then everything takes place with him having this mixed impossible series of thoughts in his mind. Yeah. He wasn't like, oh, I'm going to kill them because I'm selfish. No, you know. he's like, the no. girl, oh my God, the girl, they're killers. They're killers. Yeah, he saw them as killers. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. all that happened. And then he, when they made it far enough and it's calmed down and he has a minute to think about it, he's like, oh, fuck. But like, we're here now. I've I've made it out of shitty situations before and you just keep walking. That's all you do. Yeah. And so they get there and she asks what the fuck happened and he's like, well, right, right when they arrive at Jackson and she's like, hey, what the hell happened? Were you telling me the truth? And like, yeah, there's no cure. Yeah. And it's just, she could not live with that though. She could not live Because she that. knew there was more to the story too. And so. then she went and investigated and found out and then there was this tension between them. But we found out she was going to watch a movie with Joel. They were going to spend time together. Because yeah. that's another thing that they sprinkled that fades to the background when they show you the last conversation they had being this argument where she tells him to fuck off. And it looks like, because we know the very next night he's just missing. He's somewhere. Yeah. And no, oh, we got to, well, they never showed up. They've been there a while. So we need to go, you know, go change places with them. They're probably tired. So we know they've been out there, and the last thing we know from the day before was that situation with Dana. With Dina? Dina? Dana? I think it's Dana. Dana? Whatever the fuck her name is. Well, Dana. And this situation just makes it look like she was just like, fuck up. And you totally forget that she said, I'm going to watch a movie with Joel. Yeah. But at the same time, you might have thought, like, it was an apology type of thing. That she was only going to... She was doing that as an apology. I guess. Like, at least that's what I was feeling like, but nah. I guess that it's r random. I thought she was just going to hang out with them. I, thought, I didn't think about that at any moment, and then I forgot that that was ever mentioned until now thinking about it. Oh, yeah. I guess a lot of people would forget. Yeah, yeah. they push it. Because it's they so early to... on before you knew anything. You just know he punched the dude. Yep. And she was mad. But you don't know why at all. Nothing. Until way later, and then you've already forgotten about the movie. Yep, and then you see the events of the bar happen, and her tell Joel to fuck off, and you're like, what the fuck? No way, this is just how, this is the last con. Us watching him walk out of the bar is the last conversation we have with him, and you're yes. like, fuck you, Joel. I'm like, what the fuck? But then that last conversation eases it, makes it better, makes it worse, it's everything. Both, yes. Yes. Ah, uh, such a great story. He died happy. She's going to die miserable. But she stopped. Well, it's hard to tell where her story is going. It's hard. Because she did matter. let Abby go. That doesn't matter what happened relative to that. Relative to Joel, mm -hmm. he died happy. And she'll... She'll die miserable. Yeah. She let the killer go. Yeah. She didn't get to show him from her point of view she never got to like he hated me that whole not he hated me but i made him think i hated him the whole time yes and that's what she's dying with i let yeah. the killer go and that killer took away my opportunity to show him i don't hate him mm -hmm. that's her reality yeah. that's how she dies that was not a happy ending no that was a happy ending from joel's point of view when we look yeah. at that and he's like that moment that he's truly sad like, but i just happy. want you to be alive yes but then we see Ellie, and it's like, this is what her being alive now looks like. Yeah. This is the result. Yeah, she gets to live. It's going to be a miserable, hateful, self-loathing existence. Mm-hmm. Who's having a worse time, her or Tom? Tommy. Tommy. 
Oh man, I don't fucking know. Both of them are they're competing both for of them who lost sucks. Everything. Yeah, they're like, competing for who sucks the most at life right now. Yes. So I don't know. I don't know. There's too much. Okay, too much know. game talk. You got it. We uh, love The Last of Us. It is the greatest thing I've played in a very long time. Or might be the best thing I've played. Period. That's that's all there is because the gameplay was solid. Not a single flaw straight through the game. The story. I've never played something that profound. Period. I've played games that are profound, but not in that way. The Witness is a mind fucking a half. Alien, solid gameplay in a way that just, you're scared of keeping track of shit. Yes. And like, where is this alien and... Uh, what have I done? What haven't I done? Um, does it know what I'm going to try to do? Man, I need to run. A, maybe if I just run. It's no, really it's already. But, yeah, it's, it's a balancing act in a mm-hmm. weird kind of way. But this game, the story is right on par with the gameplay. And Neil clearly studied the masters to make this. It's it's crazy. It's a masterpiece. Anyways, I'm glad this, that, that Daniel was here. To, to help me cope with some of this. He's <laughs> yeah. been my therapist through this, man. He's helped me deal with this. Yes, through his videos? Through his videos and his ideas and like, it's it's helped. I've needed it. Because mm-hmm. it's been hard. I've been having a hard time coping with the loss of my villainous hero. Anti-hero, I guess you could say. Anti-hero. Of my anti-hero and uh, the reality of that world. Ugh. And like, as awesome as everything is, I don't feel any pain i don't care for anybody like abby and ellie awesome awesome people awesome characters i don't want either one of them to be gone or dead my emotions don't lean towards them i only a hundred percent care about all the interactions with joel that's where it's at that's where the emotion rests and that's where that game is just haunting me i wonder if other people feel the same and they're just not letting it out they're just hating on the game for made-up reasons. They're they're grieving, just bro. Share your real emotions. <laughs> yeah, they're grieving, dude. That's all that's happening. They're grieving. Yeah. They're grieving the loss of a guy they envision as undefeatable, immortal, and all these things. And nah, man, it's a ballsy story. Yes. It's a ballsy story. And thank you very much, Daniel, for being here and helping me process this. Um, If you guys want to know what I'm talking about, one, play the game, two, Check out Wolf of Thorns. It is so worth it. I, like, immediately after I binged so much of this guy's shit, I had to, like, contact him and be like, come on, come on, man, be my friend, talk to me. And I'm glad he came on, I'm glad he came on and we got to have this conversation about this. So you can find Daniel McFadder at Wolf of Thorns on YouTube. Google that, find it, go to YouTube, Wolf of Thorns. You can find him on Twitter at Thorns. TM. And uh, it's it's worth it, man. He is a storyteller. He is a content creator. He is the type of individual that you want. And it's not all serious and dark the way the game is. He helps by lightening up the mood, by giving perspectives, showing information. And there's other games. It's not just that. I'm just fixated by this game and he happened to be there at the right time. But I am drowned in this game. And uh, he was he was there for me without even knowing it. So uh, definitely go check out his stuff. He is an amazing creator. Go subscribe to his stuff. And as for us, you can find this podcast on the official website, greatthoughts.info, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And you can reach us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Just Combo Pod. Yes, and remember to subscribe and rate the show. It helps us show up in places. And if you feel so inclined, review it. 
And let someone who might like the show know about it. Yes, the power of word of mouth is majestic. Go and share the kindness of how... Go share the good word. You go and kindly say, hey, man, I think there's something you might really like. So very different from the beginning. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Hey, man, I, there's something you might really like. It's called the Just Conversation Podcast. You go you go listen to that. It's, it's great, and you're going to love it. And if you don't want to listen to it, it's totally cool, man. I understand. Podcasts aren't for everybody. But if you're into podcasts, if you're into thinky things and conversations with people, I think you should give this a try, man. Why can't they be like that in the beginning? Ooh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I have no clue what you're referencing. Mm -hmm. Talking gibberish right now doesn't even sound like words anymore. Huh. This has been the Just Conversation Podcast. Take nothing personal and thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Blah blah or yikity yakity. One yikity yak and uh yak yak and yak yak. Yeah, it's like weird sounds that somehow took on meaning and blah blah blah. Like who decided blah blah blah? blah, blah, blah? Huh. The peanuts cartoon. Didn't the parents talk like that? They didn't talk blah blah blah. Oh, they talked What the fuck is the peanuts cartoon? Um the um Charlie Brown? That show wasn't called Charlie Brown? No. It was called Peanuts. That show wasn't fucking called No Fucking Way. You serious? Yeah. That show wasn't called Charlie... B I had no fucking clue. I've never seen that show once. I mean, maybe it became Charlie Brown. It was based on a comic strip called The Peanuts, I think. Oh, Something like that. shit. Good night. Good morning. Good night. Good the Just Conversation podcast is hosted by Christina Colazzo and Jack Thomas, produced by Lynn Taylor and published by GreatThoughts.info, art by Zero Lupo, and logo by Seth McAllister, with social media managed by Amber Black.